0: Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Dead or Dennis Maddox, speak with artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And I am excited for this one because uh, whenever I've wanted to do an interview, every time I've wanted to do an interview uh, show or um, when I thought about it, one of the people I've always wanted to talk with is sex workers, and that's what we have on the podcast today. We have comedian Caitlin Bailey, who is in town for the Women in Comedy Festival, and I was lucky enough to run into her and say, Hey, um, FYI, I've heard about you, I've read about you, and I hope I'm having the right person. Uh, will you come to my podcast? Because I talk to people about day jobs, and you were, if I'm not mistaken, a sex sex worker, prostitute, hooker at one time, and I didn't know what to call it. (laughs) What was the correct term and what would sound less insulting? And I was worried that I remembered it wrong. Like it was somebody else and I thought it was her. Luckily, uh, she was. uh, And obviously that's what we talk about. When we talk about the other thing she does and the uh, cake comedy tour that she's on right now, you can go to cakecomedy.com. Washington, D.C. friends. They are going to be in town on Tuesday, November 25th. In Washington, D.C., go to cakecomedy.com, get tickets, go to the show. It's her and aaron Judge, and two other comedians who are also hilarious. She'll talk all about that on there. There's no re- need for me to reiterate it. Um, but before we get into the podcast, let me tell you guys uh, because some of you know me personally, or you've heard my podcast about uh, my medical situation, and I've had the. It's been one year since my second uh, uh, stint was put in in my heart, my second heart attack. It's easier to say heart attack, but it's kind of. Uh, anyway, and. uh. Mostly clean bowel health. Staying on meds uh, for another six months and some meds for the rest of my life still. But I feel good. Doctors like you look good. Uh, The EKGs show normal. You should be fine. Um, So I'm going to as it stands right now, probably going to live a little bit longer, you guys. And I'm sorry about that. You're going to have to put up with me for a lot longer. Uh, But I'm happy about that because uh, a year ago, it didn't seem like that was going to happen. I didn't think I was going to make it here. So like New Year's was a big deal for me because I literally did not think I was going to make it to the end of the year last year Uh, between, you know, depression and the heart and everything and just being uh, over shape, over shape and out of weight, out of overweight and out of shape. I didn't think I was going to make it. And I did. Uh, I feel better. I've gained. I lost so much weight last year and then I gained some back and I'm back working to lose weight again because we have a Boston. I need to lose weight and the Boston convenience. We have a weight loss challenge going on and I'm losing miserably right now. And there's twelve hundred dollars on the line that wasn't enough to motivate me to give up pizza guys. I don't know what will, but i'm gonna uh, I'm still working to lose weight whether I win this contest or not because I wanna be uh I wanna be healthy again. I haven't been um of a low weight in a very long time like the first half of my life I was spent I spent underweight and then the second half I spent so massively overweight that I think. Uh, for the next portion, the next 16 years of my life, next 18 years of my life, I'm going to spend maybe healthy living again. We'll see if I uh, make it that long. But anyway, I was really excited to have Caitlin on the program because like I said, I'm fascinated by sex work, uh, by people who work in the sex industry. And because it's something, like what makes somebody get into it? That's why. Uh, And we go over that and she explains it very well. And it's very interesting and she has uh, talked about it extensively. So to have somebody who has a, uh, expert level of knowledge in her, with her situation, not on the industry in general, but she is very sex positive and uh, she is an advocate for sex workers, which, uh, I'm not against. I like, uh, I agree with her in a lot of things. So, uh, let's go ahead again. And, and she also does stand up comedy, obviously. So that was, uh, it's a good fun. We had a lot of good laughs and I'm glad that she was in town and that she trusted me enough to come to my studio Uh, home studio, and record this podcast. Please enjoy my conversation on politics and prostitution with comedian Caitlin Bailey.
1: I was having another bad night because the, uh, like, fucking, uh, our Airbnb, oh, the bed bug, like, um, anxiety or whatever. (laughs) I was was hanging on that last word. (laughs) And we don't have bed bugs. But, like, so all of the mattresses are covered in plastic. My body temperature rises at night, like a lot of people's do. So for the last three nights, I've been sleeping yeah. in a puddle of my own sweat. The sheets are soaking wet. My shirt is soaking wet. The pillows are soaking wet. I move- It's just <laughs> fucking disgusting. And so, like I, you know, I'm, I'm. It's it's just fucking gross. So I can't sleep. So I'm so I'm sleeping until like n- noon or one p.m. But it's not really sleep. I'm just vertical in a puddle of... Oh, of, that's so gross. It's gross. So it, it, are the plastic above the sheets or below the sheets? The plastic is below the sheets. Okay. Uh, Above the mattress. Okay, but so like, it's
0: between the mattress and the sheets, but it's still... But, I mean, the, sh- it's still there, but yeah. the
1: sheet is functionally worthless yes. as soon as it becomes wet, which happens eight minutes after I lie yeah, down. And it just slides right off, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like a water slide. It's, it's, a, a, slip it's a water slide. It's yeah. gross.
1: <laughs> it's just gross.
0: Oh, yeah. Are you in the one on Memorial Drive with everyone? The Airbnb on uh, like near Memorial Drive in Cambridge? I, I'm
1: in Davis Square. Okay, then you're in a different oh, so, so no. So I, know, uh, I don't know where I am. I'm, uh- <laughs> I'm, I'm with the Kate girls. That's where I'm at. They're okay. in charge of logistics. <laughs> I, booked, I booked everything. I negotiated the money. I did all of that shit. Uh, and now they're in charge and they know that I am functionally worthless and brain dead. They're you taking, do the you know, paperwork. They I take do, care exactly. of everything else. I negotiated the contracts and told them <laughs> where we were going and when. And then they figured out how we're getting there and where we're sleeping and like making sure that I wake up and brush my teeth. Like they're in charge of literally I, I, <laughs> I just I hand Carrie Gravenson uh, and Aaron and Abby my brain for the duration of the tour.
0: Well, Erin Judge does seem like the mom type. She yeah, is a mom. yeah. So, yes. so they, she
1: uh, feeds me and she makes sure that I'm sleeping and she asks me how I feel uh, and that sort of stuff. And then Carrie is like, hey. Who's funny and delightful. I met her oh, Thursday. Yeah. Carrie's fantastic. They're all yeah. fantastic. I mean, oh, well, been- I know
0: of Erin Judge. Her and I never met. She was here in Boston before I moved here. And then she moved to New York. Yes. I her through message work. She and great. And now she's in LA. Bonding. She's great. really, really yes. great. Uh, because Last Comic Standing told her, you need to be in LA. She goes, yes. Yes, I do. And she moved. <laughs>
1: and, and now she moved to LA. Yeah, uh, when Roseanne Barr tells you to move to LA, you just do that. Yeah, you do what
0: Roseanne says. Unless she's standing on a peanut farm spouting out crazy. And you're like, oh, this is this a different thing. This is different. This, is, not, this yes. is a
1: different thing. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But I met Carrie on Thursday because I was at Doyle's in JP, mm-hmm. where her show was. I'm sitting there just getting a veggie burger before the show. And I... I can just see people walking in and I can look at them and go, oh, they're here for the show. Yes. But there's nobody at Doyle's to direct people to that place. So I'm just, I wave at them to catch everyone's attention. I'm like, it's in the back. That's so funny. And I catch Carrie's face and I point her back there. She walks up and goes, did I look lost? I'm like, no, I'm uh, associated with the, uh, I'm associated with the comedy scene. I know everyone's face because I'm a weirdo. And she's like,
1: Okay, and then she just walked back. And I'm then like, she just walked away. Yeah, you fucking creep. <laughs> well, you <it's- laughs> fucking weirdo. Which <laughs> is not wrong. Uh, gee, no I wonder I she didn't out. agree to do this podcast. I'm <laughs> <kidding>. uh- <laughs> I run,
0: I run a website where I promote the local county seats, so I know everyone's face. But usually, I know them from just like a Twitter profile. Right. So most of the time, I have to just put a square around people's face. And go, oh, uh, now I. know I who can't you remember
1: are. people I've slept with. Like, there's no, there's no part of my brain that like, like Aaron Judge and I literally toured. For We met at the Cape Fear Comedy Festival in like 2010, 2011. And then we toured together in 2012. We did 10 cities. Fast forward a month later, and I just run into her at the creek in the cave. And I have no recollection. (laughs) I just cannot place this woman who is being super friendly. I just can't. Like, so I, I so I've, I've learned, this has actually gotten me into a lot of trouble. I've learned to just affect familiarity with literally everyone. So I'm kind of like a child with, like, if you just offer me, like, I'll get in your van. Like, I assume that I've been in your van before and that we've done, like, van stuff and we must be, like, old van friends. Like, I don't, I just assume I'm a monster.
0: That's it. You did a great job assuming Friday when we shook hands and you introduced yourself like... You're coming to my house in two days. Perfect,
1: great. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. So you, right? It's, yeah, no, I'm and really here great I with am, faces, and it's fine. Yeah, you're, you're not gonna rape me.
0: No, not. Uh- <laughs> I've had too many podcasts where this conversation has to come up. Where it's like, by the way, are you at all worried? Like, you willingly came to my house. Are you at all worried? Did mm-hmm. you, like, vet me with somebody? And they're nope. like, No. Just. No. Well, one of them, uh, she was a comedian from New York who now lives in a um, uh, uh, RV. hmm And I shouldn't talk about that episode because I haven't finished editing it and it didn't come out because it came out right when my computer uh, crashed. <laughs> um, and it's a long, it needs a lot of editing because... Well, basically, I think the only reason she decided to do the podcast is she needed to do laundry. That's really <laughs> She funny. was like, hey, here's a weird question when I come over to the podcast. Can I can do you laundry? I was like, you I can totally do whatever you want. It didn't doing. occur to me. I almost thought I'll uh, offer it. I almost thought to offer it.
1: I, I should have fucking done that.
0: Yep. That's what missed I'm here for. Op- laundry and conversation Ugh, But miss- And then I realized Thursday, uh, Friday, when we were talking uh, with Troy, when I was speaking with Troy, we met during the shooting of that uh, oh. thing that you and Troy did. We and I didn't even recognize you because I, I definitely I no longer you. a
1: reindeer. Uh, well,
0: that and also <laughs> that one was like, what? <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. But I, uh, I knew about you before because I don't remember how I came across mm-hmm. to you because I think someone maybe mentioned your name on a podcast or in conversation. I looked it up uh, just assuming you're another comedian in New York or maybe you came to town uh, to Boston before and I looked you up and went, oh, that's who this is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I want to talk to her. She has interesting jobs and stuff. If I had realized that when you were doing Troy's thing, we would have done this a year ago, oh, or however months, wait, many
1: during months during shooting. Yeah, I would have. Asked no, you we that. wouldn't have. And here's um, why. Well, uh, I would have asked then. Yeah, I would have, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no. It's it, but, but so I didn't recognize you. Troy, uh, Troy reached out to me on the internet, and we had like two phone conversations where I basically decided he like wasn't crazy. Okay. Like that was just because I, I I wasn't gonna like take a four hour or five hour like overnight bus ride for somebody's, like, schizophrenic wet dream. Like, yeah. that just wasn't going to happen. So I figured, like, Troy sent me some stuff. I was like, okay, this is a, a filmmaker. You know, he's not big, but he he's good. Like, we, I, I can, I like this story. So the the film that we worked on is a retelling of the story of Genesis, where I play the often written out character of <laughs> Lilith. Yeah, which uh, I found the fascinating, fascinating. One afterwards. Like, yeah.
0: after we talked about it uh, mm-hmm. in the cafe... I went on my way back home and Googled. And went, yeah, she's oh, fascinating. I love this character. She's How do great. I not know about yeah, her? Yeah, she's
1: fantastic. I, I love her to death, and I think that she she speaks to uh, a kind of a womanhood that I respect. But anyway, so I do a show in New York the night before we're filming, which means I'm taking like a red-eye bus ride, you know, like a Chinatown bus. I arrive at some poor girl's house. I don't remember her name. <laughs> at like five o'clock in the morning, uh, sleep on their couch for two hours wake up and go into hair and makeup so in between every take in full hair and makeup which involved reindeer antlers Antlers. for artistic reasons that (laughs) troy can probably explain but i never really (laughs) dug into um 'Cause I'm not a real actress. I was like, sure, yeah, you can just put that on my head. I'll just do what I was gonna do anyway. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just so, gonna do it with
0: a slight tilt in my neck. Yeah, That's exactly. All. Yeah, it's just you
1: know, like, do I use these? What are we doing? <laughs> um, so I would curl up in a robe on like a couch in the hallway and sleep for thirty and forty five minute increments. So if you tried to record a podcast, it would have been like in a dream delirium state. <laughs> like sort of in between and, and to his credit, uh Troy was really, really great. He would like wake me up. Um, when they were ready to shoot, I would do it and then go back to bed. Yeah. And it uh, wasn't
0: lines to learn cause it's uh silent film. It, right? it was a yeah, silent yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. It's very artistic. He showed me a quick clip on whatever everything nice. looks like to stylize. And then I looked at it and went, Oh, I think I've seen Andy who also is in mm-hmm. the production who plays God. Yeah. Um, I saw him post pictures or maybe he sent me the trailer or something like that. And it, it it's cool. cool, stylized. It look. is a it.
1: really stylized look. It is it. We are naked, and also it is not porn. Uh, but it is. It's beautiful. It's a really really layered, like, set, like filmed animation, kind of thing. It's it's really. Yeah, it's very Backsee,
0: which is uh Walter Backsee, oh, the guy who did the Lord of the Ring cartoons. um and the yeah. Hobbit, co- the Lord of the Ring cartoons, yeah, the Hobbit, the Hobbit, where yeah. it's like the script. Uh, you basically take the fi- you shoot it on film. And then you draw over the film. That's how they did it back then. I don't wow. know how they do it digitally, but literally, if you watch those loitering Ring cartoons, like the second one, mm-hmm. they literally animated on top of the actual like 16 millimeter film. And that's how they made that, which is crazy, insane, but it looks It looks really, really cool. Yes. Yeah. So that's good. And that's coming out, because I'm going to... I should talk to Troy. When is that coming out? May 6th. May 6th! At the Capitol Theater in Arlington. Yes. Great. We talked about because I made sure he kept reminding me about it, because I want to go see the entire production, because A... Uh, it looks cool and great Two, my buddy Andy's in support it. And now three, you're on the podcast, so
1: now I have to support the thing. Now you have you to do. support the thing. Exactly. We want to do... You we, came to my creepy... Uh, I did. I home came to lair. your creepy <laughs> house. The cab driver dropped me off and I was like, oh, this is like a house house. Like yeah. A, like in a neighborhood neighborhood. Um, yeah, because I live in New York, so it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Home uh, studios are basically... Uh, home studios are on, like on above bodegas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. This is like a house.
0: But... um, yeah, sorry that studios in transition mode so there's like things aren't working right and Fun. that's the other reason why i've stopped things like yeah you can't tell but i look at it and go oh the studio's a wreck and everyone's like you got it's microphones like no you got like, you have 17 monitors you have a
1: framed poster you're fucking crushing it
0: <laughs> and i also have my norm burger award from uh cheers because i ate a big huge fat burger because i am a big fat fatty <laughs> Yay. But let's go back to the, the tour. So the, uh, is it just the cake girls? It's the, yeah, it's the, the cake, cake girls women?
1: we're doing um, Boston to Atlanta and then back to New York. So we're oh, going to be, okay. so we just did our Boston show. I'm performing tonight. I don't think this podcast is going to be out in time, but I'm going to be at Improv Boston by my lonesome. Um, but to, tomorrow, or yeah, wait, is it tomorrow? Tomorrow's Monday. Monday. 24th? Correct. Yes. So tomorrow we're going to be in Philadelphia, and then the twenty fifth we're in DC. The twenty seventh. We're playing in DC. We're going to be at the DC Draft House. Oh, great! Is, That's a great spot. Yeah, it's a great, great spot. I'm from
0: Baltimore, and I worked in DC, so oh, I know fantastic. a lot DC. Oh, um, fantastic! And um, I will make sure this is out tonight.
1: So tomorrow Thank you. I can try and... In con Philadelphia of my DC fans of on the there. 24th, tomorrow, we're going to be... At, I say
0: fans? I meant D.C. friends.
1: D.C. friends. I don't friends. Have fans. I don't, uh, no, tell you, but them. tell your D.C. friends about the show. It's a I big will, deal. Of course. Uh, in Philadelphia, we're going to be at the Good Good Comedy Theater. In D.C., we're going to be at the D.C. Draft House. In Pittsburgh, we're at the Arcade Comedy Theater. Uh, and then we're in Indianapolis at the White Rabbit Cabaret. And then we're in Nashville at Zane's Comedy Club, which is very exciting. Oh, good. And then we're in Asheville at the Southern... Uh, which Asheville, is a Nashville is at
0: north or south? Nashville
1: is in North Carolina. Okay, and then we're in Raleigh, North Carolina, at Kings, and then we're in Atlanta, and it's a secret show, so we're not allowed to promote it. <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> sort of similar to this. It's a. Yeah, the girls are already calling it a rape dungeon. But uh,
0: <laughs> well, that's the worst part is like, or not the worst part. The, one of the things about this Women in Comic Festival, which is what you're in town yes. for, and kicking off the cake. Oh, tour, it's amazing. Which we want. I want to find out the logistics about the tour because I found out something that it's. Uh, you guys did it on Kickstarter, right?
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. And our last show is actually a free show. It's going to be back in New York May 11th at Kickstarter headquarters. They're throwing us a big party. Oh, that's good. Because because oh, you survived it. Because we survived and we're Hopefully. great, and we did. We we developed this model with them, so it was a brand new model. And we were able to give them, you know, like a, a victory for this, for this new model. And they're paying us in uh, food, I think. So, <laughs> you know, cause we're comics. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the thing I was just going to say, oh, the Women in Comedy
0: Festival um, pretty much took over the town. Like yes. there's 90, 85, 90 shows this weekend. Yes. There's like three shows this whole weekend that aren't official Women yes. in Comedy Festival shows. And one of them uh, is, or one of those venues is a basement around, uh, about a uh, half a, a quarter of a mile from here. It's a guy who runs a place in Austin, who has a place in Austin called Jed. We call the show, the, the, the show location Jed's Basement. And I think on principle, there's a lot of shows that happen there because he's just like, guys, I built this, I built a, a a venue in my basement. Just come do shows here. And that's how he sounds because he
1: smokes a pack in half a day and he's 22. Oh, I thought he was just doing a Luis J. Gomez yeah. impression.
0: Guys, <laughs> oh. guys, come to my basement. <laughs> So everyone does shows there, and they are actually really well-attended. People show up there, a good, fun time. The place is a mess. Uh, Nice guy, great idea, but he's just a
1: 23, 22, 25, whatever. Does the whole place place smell like socks?
0: It smells like ashtrays
1: and dog fur. Anyway, can't imagine why the Women in Comedy Festival wouldn't be all over that venue. I think
0: just on principle, next year for the Women in Comedy Festival, we need to do it at Jed's Basement. I think we need to have a Women in Comedy Festival show at Jed's Basement. And I think just because should, it's the last place you would have a Women
1: in comedy I think that show. we should do. I think we should. Uh, I, I think we should call it a Rape Dungeon show. And I think we should be doing all Women in Comedy uh, performers doing exclusively their their rape jokes. I think that that would be that'd be a great show.
0: Uh, next year, if you're in the festival, you and me, we will produce and put that. We together. will produce
1: that. I know there are lots and lots of women with amazing rape jokes. I think it would be a really fun way to like take the power back because it's like all female perspective rape jokes would be, which would be great.
0: Yes. All right. So talking about the tour with Kickstarter. Yes. Um, how did this get? How did you get the idea to do a Kickstarter tour? Because I know a lot had... of people use Kickstarter to start things. Yes. And sometimes they're unsuccessful. Yes. But this was in conjunction. This with was in conjunction
1: with Kickstarter. So we the the. Tour Itself is already a Kickstarter success story because when we started the pink collar comedy tour, we got our initial startup capital for like posters and gas and car rental and all that shit through a Kickstarter campaign. I think we raised like three or six thousand dollars, uh, five or six years ago. Um, but was then around
0: five, six years ago, has it been that long? Yeah,
1: it's, yeah, they gather yeah, around. Geez, I
0: feel like it's only been like two or three years.
1: Well, we were doing it before it was like Hip and trendy, yeah, yeah. We, they, yeah. I was like, "How do I get seed money?" And somebody was like, "Blow me!" And I was like, "There's got to be another way." Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got drunk at the Brooklyn and Comedy Festival party, which was being hosted by Kickstarter because they're one of their sponsors, and I, you know, was whining essentially at Taylor, who was the head of comedy at Kickstarter, that we that we've been touring for five years and that it's usually amazing, but sometimes we lose money and I just wish there was some mechanism to be able to decide whether a town was going to like us or not. Like whether, you know, I wanted to avoid performing for six Confused people at a VFW because some producer lied to us or themselves about what they were doing. We're trying so dependent.
0: Your audience in a city you've never been to. Exactly
1: right. We're trying to like get that promotion wheel started where I can figure out whether a producer is like you know a barely functioning alcoholic or like a high functioning alcoholic. Like I'll work with a high functioning alcoholic all day, but I can't be a part of your bottoming out story. Not with these other three girls. Like we've got (laughs) there's too much on the line. Like yeah, Abby's like a TV star now, so let's get our shit together. And so um, Taylor basically like thought about it for a second and said, I thought we could do that. And I think we can do that. So four meetings later, we came up with this model of like revolving Kickstarters that are city focused, where we ask a city, do you want us to come to your town? Uh, If so, support the tour, tell your friends. If not, we're not fucking coming. And we were able to pre-sell tickets before approaching a venue, which put us in a much better negotiation uh, position. When we went to a venue and we said we've already sold $1,000 worth of tickets, it makes it a lot easier to like negotiate door deals that make sense. Yeah. And to say, like we're not fucking kidding. We're not fucking around. You know, This isn't our first rodeo. So it helps us overcome that kind of systemic sexism of like, are you girls sure you can do like a big girl <laughs> comedy show? And we're like, do you want us? Do you want our fucking money or not? We've got objective metrics here. You don't have to depend on your idea <laughs> of what you think a comedy show looks like.
0: Well, you guys also did it. Uh, so at, first off, before I even ask about the tickets, mm-hmm. did you? Is there any of the cities that you had planned that just it didn't sell? You're like, all right, F it. We had to refund twelve tickets because nobody bought them. No, no. So
1: every show city, that every show funded.
0: Up, uh, is that because of the pro- promotion maker It was able to hit the people specifically no, in those be- areas. No, it's because
1: I had a lot of ego riding on this, and I just once I dig into a problem, I like I canvassed for tickets in Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, DC. Um, I was cold calling people in Asheville. I mean, like it's I'm a, I'm an I'm an insane person, and I come from a campaign fundraising background. So like, you give me a fundraising objective, we're gonna hit that fucking objective, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Now, you guys did different price tickets to know what kind of venue. Yeah, we have – well, we've
1: always we've always been an each according to his ability kind of tour. So, like, our very first merch was buttons. And we didn't have a price on the buttons, but it would be, like, for a donation of any amount, we'll just give you a button. And some people gave us a dollar, and some people gave us, like, 20 bucks. We got $200 once for a button from somebody who was just like, we really like what you girls are doing, and we, we want, want you to do more you. of it. We want you so we have this weird combination of like, you know, traditional ticket sales, traditional market stuff with a weird like philanthropy sort of charity nonprofit thing yeah. happening. So uh I just didn't want anyone who wanted to come see our show to not do that because our ticket prices were too expensive, but also a huge chunk of our fan base, they want to support the arts. So tickets are twenty-five dollars. Unless that's too much for you, in which case they're 10. Yeah. And if you show up at the door and make eye contact with me, I'll probably let you in for $5. And, <laughs> like, like, I'm just – I'm a sucker on that because we, we yeah, do – Yeah, you're not
0: staring at your shoes, then you have a $5 bill. Yes, exactly.
1: It's – yeah, it's – or whatever. Or you just probably like, – well, i tweet about it. Now I have 18 followers. Like, I don't, I don't care. I, I want people that want to come see the show to yeah. be able to do that, but I also want us to be able to, like –
0: Pay for gas to go to the next show to do it for the next people that want it. Exactly,
1: gas, hotels. I want us to be able to eat. I want us. You know, we're not. We're grown ass ladies. Like, and this is what we want to do for a living. So twenty five dollars, I think, is what the show is worth. But if you can't pay that, we want you there anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. A a show with an engaged audience is always more fun even if they're smaller than a large audience that's meh into it.
1: Yes. I was actually reading about this. Um, Somebody who is super famous, I think it's Billy, yeah, Billy Joel, um, actually one of the secrets to his success and why his concerts are so much fun is they actually reserve the first four rows for enthusiastic people that bought nosebleed seats and they just pick them out Uh randomly at the concert and say, like, so if you show up early and look really enthusiastic, a scouter might take your you know $10 tickets and turn it into like a $400 fucking concert ticket because those tickets tend to go to like super rich people who might oh, be yeah. like disengaged or like on their phone or doing whatever but a people super huge Billy Joel fan is going to make the whole concert experience for everyone around them more exciting.
0: Yeah, and when you're in a stadium like that it's not like he can see past the fourth row anyway.
1: Exactly. So he doesn't he doesn't want to know that there's
0: somebody with a sign yelling something else other than music or a piano yes. man. Yes. And that's the song, you know, they want to hear something that uh, one of his deep cuts because they're that big of a fan. Exactly. He doesn't want them in the back in the dark where he can't see them. He wants them in the he front. He wants them up front, yeah. That's awesome. Was exactly. That, did he start doing that with Madison Square Garden or is that no always his thing? no idea. Okay. It's, I do Because he did a residency at Madison Square Garden which I think is still going and he kept yes. saying... I'm gonna keep doing Madison Square Do- garden on until, the all things
1: until it doesn't sell until out. Until it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first time it doesn't sell out, I'm done. He's it's so interesting because he just dominated the charge for now two different like time periods in music, two yeah. generations. And like I think there's a whatever. The article was interesting, but that it sort of reminded me of that. It's like we'd rather have enthusiasm in the audience for us than you know, a bunch of blue haireds who think that we're doing, you know, such cute girl stuff. Now this, is this the first round of the cake tour or have you already done one round? This is, so we, we did our first cake show at the Women in Comedy Festival a couple of days ago. Okay. This, so we've been touring the four of us for five years, but we just changed our name. So this is the first okay. cake run.
0: Okay. Cause it's now, how long did it take you, the four of you to figure out that your initials can spell cake?
1: When we when after they told me that they hated pink collar, uh, and so we had to change the name and we started brainstorming that. and that was something that we came to. We almost didn't go with it. We almost went with something like Crush, I think the Crush comedy tour, but I just couldn't look myself in the mirror and with the Crush <laughs> comedy tour, so we went with cake. Oh okay, you know, I'm
0: glad you didn't go with the other of Crush, which is slice. Cause it's yeah. the orange card soda. Right. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> crush. I don't know. Do you crush have a crush soda, right? on us?
1: We're gonna crush. <laughs> Ooh, crush chapstick. I don't. I don't know. It's just. It felt uh, weird. It sounds very. Yeah. It felt well, weird. All I'm
0: thinking of is when I when I hear the word crush, all I'm thinking of is just some broy fret dude who probably. Hangs out in someone else's bases, not Jed's bases. Right. just yell, dude, I'm going to crush Pooh tonight. Exactly. It's like, that just, the word it's crush right. kind of always sends chills Whereas up. Whereas, like,
1: everyone loves cake. Cake feels really cake unobjectionable. And we're, we're, I'm a very controversial comedian, I think. I push boundaries. But that's not, but not on the cake tour. Like, I'm pretty much doing, like, my dad's a Republican and my mom's a Democrat. <laughs> and it's, hilarity ensues. Right. I mean, Abby is a is a clean comic. Carrie uh, K- and um, Aaron are not like clean, but they're... Pretty, I mean, they're not we're, raunchy. We're, they're not raunchy. We're we're grown ass ladies in our 30s. Yeah. Like this is smart, funny women. That's good. Yeah. Now, you, let's get on because this is all about
0: jobs. Let's talk about the job of the campaign because... Uh, oh, yeah. I have never had a political person. You've never had yet. a political person? No, someone who's worked in the political thing. Hey, I'm Have not you ever a, had a,
1: a former cult, cult th- member? Because it's kind of like that.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh no, please tell me about that. First off, what campaign did you work? What I worked, did you do for this campaign?
1: Sure. I worked for a progressive political consulting firm. Um, wow, it's a lot of words. Slow it down for sure. me. I'm done when it comes to politics. So, okay, let me, so you live in Boston, right? I do. do you know Originally the, from Baltimore, though. Do you know the people that stand in the streets of Boston are like, hey, do you have a minute for insert organization here? I'm sure I do, but I have headphones on. And I'm really good at ignoring right, people. Wait, but you've but seen here. them. Yes. I was their boss in 12 cities.
0: Okay, so basically the people that harass other people in the street for, uh, like... Money, lip-
1: signatures, letter writing. It, I worked for a lot of different kinds of campaigns. So not all of it was fundraising, although the majority of it was fundraising. But we also did voter persuasion, get out the vote, and we did a targeted uh, letter writing campaign, actually, in Indiana that I'm probably most proud of.
0: Targeted letter-writing campaign. Mm -hmm. What is that?
1: We were trying to move a piece of legislation out of the Senate subcommittee. It was the American Clean Energy and American Jobs Bill. This was 2009, I think, when we still had like hope um, that things could happen. And that bill would have essentially redirected the subsidies that we're using for the oil and gas industry into... Clean energy. So it would have helped provide the funding to create the infrastructure that makes clean energy a viable alternative to, you know, the oil and gas industry. Um, Okay. And it passed the House. And it had bipartisan support in the Senate. It was something that, like, Lindsey Graham was initially a supporter of. Like, him and John Kerry agreed on a thing in 2009. Uh, I'm sure it was by accident. Mm, well, yeah. <laughs> so we were in Indiana targeting two uh, senators in coal country, Senator Luger and Senator By, and we were asking their constituents to write letters asking them specifically to support this bill.
0: Okay, so you're petitioning people in coal co- coal yes. counties to say, "Hey, please write a letter to your congressperson or your asking them to, and to please- support clean energy because and get rid of this. Okay. Yes,
1: because even though we need the coal industry here. We would like better jobs that result in less cancer and asthma rates. Yeah. Like specifically in Evansville, Evansville uh, is kind of a a tragedy because it's it sits lower uh, than the sur- surrounding mountainous area, and they're they're surrounded by I think eleven or thirteen uh, coal plants. So it it just they have a higher asthma rate than I think anywhere else in the country. a coincidence. Ter- right. Terre Haute is another example. I mean, they're they have the paper mill there that's just responsible for like a bad smell that I don't know whether or not it's actually toxic. So that wasn't really a a coal issue. And then Albany, we were all over the, those were the three cities that I was the campaign director in. So my job was to land in that city, recruit, uh, hire, train, and manage a team of people towards a specific goal. And then once we hit that goal, then we could move on to the next city. And I... uh,
0: So you lived basically on the road, more or less.
1: Yeah, for two years. In two years, I was in... uh, 12 cities in nine states and worked for 11 different campaigns
0: Oh my god how long does a campaign usually last
1: um it depends so some of them are just ongoing revolving like you know clients that need money all the time because nonprofits and so mm-hmm. uh, and then some of them are seasonal okay. and then and then and then some of them are like you know legislative cycle. Okay. So
0: you're only there when it's time to, to, Mm -hmm. okay. And then you leave and you move around 12 cities in two years. Were you doing comedy at this time by then?
1: Not on purpose. Uh, (laughs) But I was giving a lot of speeches. (laughs) Um, And I was a huge comedy fan. I mean, like, you know, that was a time, it, it was one of the big come to Jesus moments I had was realizing that Stephen Colbert was doing more to teach America about political action committees than all of the canvassers in all of the land doing all of the public outreach that they possibly could. And so it was one of the things where I was like, oh, maybe comedy is more effective at changing hearts and minds than being a soldier in this endless ideological war. (laughs) I also had a sneaking suspicion that the other side was more like better funded than I did and probably threw fewer temper tantrums about having staplers that just broke. Like, it just... (laughs) That was my big, my big anxiety. Like, I the rage that I had directed at the stapler in our office. It's it's like they they would ship I mean, the computer was one thing. They, we were regularly shipping uh, broken computers to different fucking campaign offices all over the country where it's like well this one broke down in Indiana but like see if it works in San Francisco. Like I mean just it's the San stupid. Francisco air, yes. Yeah yeah yeah, find someone in San Francisco to maybe make this 1996 PC machine work and like make it do ex- I don't know, it's uh, a but broken like the, computer shell game basically. Oh my god. And the fucking the fucking stapler. We I also so not only was the stapler broken a huge chunk of the time. Please tell me more about the stapler Milton. I'm I, Listen. Tell me more about your swing line. We were also at one point during the 2010 election campaign when I was in Philadelphia. So we were doing, uh, at that point, we were doing voter get out the vote. So we started with voter persuasion, which is basically list building, and then had moved on to to get out the vote. And so we're hiring 40 new people a day, oh, and nobody knows where the one sometimes functioning stapler is, <laughs> and we need it every eight minutes. All day.
0: <laughs> at what point do you just go, I, I don't care. I'm going to Staples with my own paycheck. Oh,
1: no, don't get me started on budget. Oh, oh, the paperwork involved in replacing an item that it said on a byline <laughs> that we already had. Don't get me started. And was I going to spend any of my money at that point? No, that's how I bankrupted myself the first year. <laughs> oh, so you already you're, figured it out. Okay. I already figured it out. Yeah, because at that point, I was working 120 hours a week for $20,000 a year. So it's like, it's... You can spend your own money, and the reason that you're working that hard for that little money is because you really believe that what you're doing is, like, helping make the world a better place. You're part of something larger than yourself. You're, you know, you're on the side of good versus evil. Like, that's what it feels like. So, of course, you want to spend your own money on a $6 stapler at Staples until you do that for, you know, seven campaigns, and you're like, why don't I have enough money for toilet paper
0: like this is you look at your bank statement. it's like oh it's because I bought 1800 that I won't be reimbursed
1: for because I didn't go through the process of getting that thing you know checked off on the box of shit that somebody that isn't in the campaign thinks we need yeah
0: I'm pretty sure it's just buy a stapler, put it on a keychain, attach it to your hip, and then just use the stapler and that uh, and make your life easier and everyone else around you still have it. I have one of had our hourly staplers.
1: employees make four big signs that said stapler this way, stapler goes here, and then they like carved out like a place was like stapler goes right here if it's not right here you will be fired on the spot because that's how (laughs) emotionally fragile i was at that moment and when you're hiring 40 new people a day you can fire people for dumb fucking cunt reasons like did you put the stapler back it's in your hand if you walk out that door with a staple i will murder you it's a bullshit i I can't court-martial you for such an egregious Anyway, yeah. So I. And
0: you you're dealing with kids. You're not dealing with adults who have like functioning, uh, yeah, uh, who are functioning, brain thinking people. You're well, dealing you're, with you're, kids you're, who have ideologies, and they're yes, also
1: responsible. It's fucking. It's a goddamn nightmare. It's like The West Wing meets being a kindergarten teacher. Like it was just. It was. It, and and you become your worst self when you're when you're sleep deprived, stressed out. You think you're on the side of good versus evil, and you have like a little bit of power. Yeah. Oh, I was a, I, I became a monster. I gained 40 pounds on Adderall, which is like almost impossible.
0: So you gained, you gained, I was abused,
1: I was abusing Adderall in order to keep up this work schedule while gaining weight somehow.
0: That's, yeah, that is insane. It's like basically that Lenny Clark show where it's like, I'm the only guy who gained, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, it's like, I'm the only person who gained weight on cocaine. And all cocaine, okay, cocaine's an aptine suppressant, but all it made me do was eat faster. Yes.
1: Like, basically. Yeah, I still understand how thing. Ari Lang gained so much weight on heroin. Like, I'm confused.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forget he was a heroin. I always think yeah. about the, the booze and coke. Yeah, the booze and coke makes that. sense
1: to me because it's I'm just it's just like in a weird plethora, but like with the heroin, I'm like,
0: you didn't get that like heroin chic look. Eventually? Well, I'm from Baltimore, so sometimes the heroin just is like, yeah, everyone's on heroin. Like
1: that's like I'm used to hearing. That's oh, really you're funny. on heroin? No, oh, big you're on heroin. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. That's yeah, everyone goes through that phase. Like
0: I still when I go back, I'm going back again in May, and all I want uh, just to make me feel at home is to be on the light rail system and see one person doing the heroin tai chi where they're basically flopped over in a half position. It, it, I, but they never fall down. They never like, fall heroin down. Al, uh, heroin addicts are weebly, are weebles. They we, they wobble, but they don't fall down. They wobble, but they don't I've fall down. I've never seen That's great. a heroin addict nod off and hit the ground. They will do. I've seen them. I've seen them bend in ways that are physically impossible for yoga instructors mm-hmm. to bend. Yeah. and then they just snap up and they put themselves back together, and then they just walk three feet and then it happens again. Like they're <sighs> built. They're built out of springs somehow. I
1: can't. I don't understand the appeal of that drug.
0: You know, I don't, uh, I don't understand the appeal of a lot of things.
1: Yeah, fair. Including
0: political activism, but yeah. that's my opinion. Because you feel like you're a soldier in an <laughs> army
1: of righteousness. Oh,
0: yeah, righteousness. That's, I, that's the righteousness. word that I hate. Righteousness. I hate righteousness. Righteousness. Yes. Yes. Anyone who feels righteous, and I don't even want to feel righteous about anything I do.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, I think comedy is the antithesis to that. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's the antithesis to, you know, like, religion and uh, active, like, political activism-y righteousness, or just any anything. You know, fucking, some dumb neighbor Association that's like, we have to arrest people for not picking up their dog poop. You we have a dog poop problem. It's like it, comedy cuts through all of that nonsense, and I've become allergic to it. and It's made it real hard to function, like in society. <laughs> yeah, you sometimes you
0: forget you're talking to normal people and they don't get it.
1: Yeah, I, I, be, becoming a comic is basically the process of like becoming a feral person. Yes, yeah.
0: So where were you when did you get with this campaign? Was that when you were in New York or I started did you
1: start you're I started from South my Carolina. Car- North Carolina. Carolina. Right. North Carolina. I went They're, to the college of Charleston in South Carolina. The Carolinas are day. I'm from the Carolinas. You're confused. nailing it. I'm just you're nailing <laughs> it. I started my political activism career when I was in middle school with this weird like, anarcho organization. We did, like, Food Not Bombs, and we were doing dumpster diving, and we were, like, part of, like, the Ad-Aware, which is the organization that eventually started the Occupy Wall Street movement, but when I was in middle school, they were just, like, a magazine. Um, we had a bi-weekly radio show, and it was with all these, like, really smart, uh, mostly white suburban kids whining about um, how it sucked that we were being taxed without representation because we were all, like, under 18. <laughs> uh, so, like, you know, we were had these weird... But it was, it was a great... Uh, education on like democratic principles and um, advocacy and activism and like the history. We were part of um, like a long youth movement, like a long like punk movement, a long uh, LGBT activism movement. And then I had started sex work around that time. Um, and I wasn't aware, but I would later become sort of a sex worker rights advocate, which is the only kind of activism that I still do. And so I feel more, really yeah. righteous about it because my basic position is like, we're people. Um, after that, I became sexually active, so I decided to volunteer for Planned Parenthood because I wanted to get shit done. so like we were we were in fringe politics, and then Planned Parenthood is mainstream politics. So that's when I got to, like go to the state Senate and testify in front of subcommittee hearings and like deliver letters to uh, legislators and like be welcomed into meetings and like started doing like media outreach and learning more of the, like, rules of how the game is played on a national level as opposed to, like, a child level where we're like, we don't like it, so we're going to egg it, or whatever we were doing. <laughs> you know, Meh. capitalism is bad. Was like, you know. Um, with capitalism, um, up yeah. with candy. Exactly, right. That was our basic position. Um, but Planned Parenthood was, like, getting shit done, and they were involved in a long fight. They were a big organization, and they saved my life a couple of times, which was great. Um, after I worked with them all through high school and all through college, I was their go-to organizer on campus. So they kind of treated me like a staff member for four years, but I graduated in 2009, which was an economic downturn. So they couldn't offer me a job, um, which I thought I'd sort of been promised at that point for like eight years.
0: Graduated high school or college in 2009?
1: College in in 2009. Into a downturn economy. So I'm, I'm just sort of looking for a job. And I find this um, weirdly for-profit organizing organization, uh, p- a progressive political consulting firm, um, and one of their clients is Planned Parenthood. And so you know, they interview me, they hire me on the spot, I move to New York. I'm there for three months, they teach me the ropes, and then they started giving me my own offices after that. So I started as an assistant director. Within three months, I was promoted to a campaign director. So at 22, I had like a staff of 106 people and like a lot of autonomy on the ground for just getting, getting shit done. But it, it, it overwhelmed my whole life. I didn't go to my best friend's wedding because it was too close to the 2010 election.
0: Oh, that, yeah, that's, I, yeah. uh, Erica Rhodes just <clears> put out <throat> a video on funny or die this week where she's just going into she's an great. audition. Oh, she's fabulous. Uh, fab- fabulous. Fabulous. She's, fa- she's great. Yes. But, uh, so she goes into an audition and the cast is just her one point of view, one, one shot casting director asking, us like, uh, so real quick with this role that there, there may be, are you okay with riding horse? Are you okay with this? And, They just keep Mm -hmm. going on. She goes, yes, yes. Like, um, are you okay with living in uh, poverty for the next uh, seven years of your life and not being able to pay your bills? Yes. Are you capable of asking uh, distant family members for money and stuff like that? Yes. And keeps going. It's like, are you willing to miss your grandfather's funeral? Already did that. And you just keep asking all (laughs) these things where it's like, hey, are you willing to miss your best friend's wedding because you uh, can't leave? And are you willing to be in a city uh, in Canada uh, in the middle of nowhere without uh, TV or cable. And she goes, yes, of course. And I'm like, oh, this went from funny to hitting too close to home.
1: This is it, though. That's the game. So when you talk about, like, you know, the life of an artist requires sacrifice, we don't necessarily meet – like, you can be disciplined and – right? But, but, like, there's – my father put it best. There's no such thing as more than one number one priority. And when something is your number one priority – it shapes the whole rest of your life. When I was uh, doing campaigns, it was my number one priority, and that's what my life looked like. Now, comedy is my number one priority, and this is what my life looks like. Yeah. I'm sleeping in a puddle of my own sweat. So, you know,
0: <laughs> just so you the, the sleeping bed arrangements
1: the sleeping arrangements in comedy is not actually better than the sleeping arrangements at that level of campaigns. <laughs> I at one point they housed us the the for profit company that I worked for housed us in a bunch of mattresses that were just in an attic, and it was basically a crash pad for, like, traveling musicians. <laughs> and they just found it, and we all slept there, and it and nobody complained. <laughs> hey, we're sleeping for free in a place. Isn't this fun? Right, yeah, exactly. It was like other companies put everyone gets their own hotel. Okay. <laughs> it's- we're changing the world, you guys. Guys, we're all in this together. Do or die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And then in the midst of, uh, when did you start doing comedy? Before or after the or during the campaign I, stuff? I started doing... I can't doing, imagine you had time to do comedy.
1: No, I, I didn't. Um, I started doing comedy in 2010, uh, right around the time that I lost my mind. So after after the 2010 election um, in November, I quit everything and went home to study for the LSAT. But instead of doing that, I got addicted to comedy. Okay. So, now, you,
0: uh, the 2010 election, that is the one
1: where Obama, first Obama election, right? No. Uh, was Obama was elected in 2008. 2008, okay. 2010 was was the backlash election where we lost the House, the the Senate, and most importantly, for the kind of ramifications that we're dealing with today, state houses all over the country went bright red. The reason that matters so much is because 2010 is a census year, which is when all of the the districts get redrawn. So all of the districts got gerrymandered, to preserve a Republican majority through 2020. Oh, so, geez. even though the political tides have shifted, we're not gonna see the result of that because of gerrymandering and voter suppression. So, good luck, guys.
0: Yeah, and it's weird that it took seven years for people to start talking about gerrymandering.
1: Like, I'm sure I was, was talking about it door to door yeah. for fucking years. You <laughs> fucking morons. If you just answer your goddamn door and let some 19 year old explain how things work sorry I, I don't mean to i'm sorry i you're I'm so mad well i know it's
0: one of those like i was talking about the dakota access pipeline three four years yeah ago, and no, literally i went back to the facebook post about it and mm-hmm. not one comment not one like what? the day everyone's checking in from south dakota it's like we're doing something it's like you could have done something a year ago
1: yes yeah, like late. we
0: don't have to be at this point if you had paid attention then and isn't it like already built now
1: yeah, it's basically... It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, We're it just hosing it, down grandmothers, and it's not the worst thing we've ever done for the dumbest reason. Yeah, it's... The whole thing's terrible. And my I, it's, my it's, least favorite phrase, and like as the, the comedians that I've known for the last seven years become awakened to the political atrocity that I abandoned, like, you know, <laughs> fucking eight years ago, What uh, is? the the phrase unprecedented. I want to ch- I want to choke people out. You know what I mean? Like it's just so it's like you have no sense of history and no shame. You have no, there's no humility where you're like, oh, just because I haven't heard of something doesn't mean it's never happened before. Yeah.
0: And like, I want people to be on my side with the Dakota Access Pipeline. I want them to be against it because, okay. but also it's you want to be writer than they family. are. I, I want them to jump on the board when I tell them to. Yeah, because you know. Don't jump on it outside of my opinion. Yes. Yes.
1: Right, well, right. Anyway. <laughs> I tell jokes now. <laughs> so that I don't have to emotionally torture people that think they want to work with me.
0: <laughs> All right. Well let's get back uh, since and then you start uh-huh. doing comedy, and this is where the important thing of your comedy comes in because uh, your comedy does deals a lot with your past, which you just brought up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex work stuff, which first I'm gonna ask, how often are you worried when people find out about that you used to be a sex worker? Which oh wait, before you even ask that, what's the preferred term? Sex worker, hooker? I really prostitute? like whore. Nobody, I love the word
1: whore. Nobody else does. I really do like to think. I'm, I, I like the word whore. I like the it's way it feels in word. my mouth. I don't. There's no. There's no part of me that takes a negative thing. Like you say, streetwalker, and I'm like, that's not what I did. I have to correct you. <laughs> you know, like it, uh, it, I was an like internet whore. Yeah, provider feels weird, yeah. stupid. Escort is escort alive? is accurate. It's uh. it, it's accurate, but it's also it's a it's an euphemism you know well, it's it, yeah it's when we refer to uh,
0: the, well, there are women who are escorts that won't who are legitimate escorts that won't have sex with you sure escorting there is are a, escorting when, technically is not supposed to be sex but it's m- sure oh, okay whatever
1: fine <laughs> I, when, I mean look when i was doing full service sex work explicitly selling sex for money I had about 30 or 40% of my clients that never engaged in, in penetrative vaginal sex with me because they had erectile dysfunction or they were germaphobes or they drew some bright red moral line in the sand where they could like, you know, go down on me but not fuck me. Or they wanted to like lay and, you know, give me a massage while they told me stories that their whole family's gotten tired of 20 years ago. Like we, we were doing this kind of emotional labor stuff that wasn't, really sex. So I don't know that the presence of, like, sex or not sex is the best metric for, you know... I think sex work is a really big umbrella. You know, I think it... Webcam girls, strippers, Mm -hmm. porn stars, I think Hooters waitresses. Like, I'm... I want... Everyone that identifies as a sex worker to get on board with uh, talking about it because it's the only way we're going to get rid of the stigma. We need a coming out movement the way that the LGBT, the way that Harvey Milk started the uh, coming out movement for the LGBT community.
0: So you're obviously a proponent that you want uh, sex working legalized across the world. Decriminalized.
1: I want it decriminalized. Okay. Do you want me to the explain difference? the difference between – Please. Le- sure. So I like, mean for the listeners. Sure. For uh, the- yeah, absolutely. Dumb fucks that they are. <laughs> uh, legalized prostitution is what you have in Nevada. Okay? So that is a state, the only state, with legal prostitution. And it also has the highest arrest rate per capita for prostitution in the entire country. They arrest people
0: for doing something that they because it's not
1: it's it's legal, but it's not decriminalized. Which means you are only allowed to operate out of licensed brothels, which are widely considered to be exploitative. You have to work 12-hour shifts. You can't do it on your own schedule. You have to give half your money to the brothel. You have to give another huge chunk of your income to the state. You have to do all of these stupid fucking laws. You have to get tested for STDs weekly that you pay for. They're like nickel and diming the fuck out of you to work in these brothels that are only allowed to be in counties with like a population less than 700,000, which means there are no legal brothels in Las Fucking Vegas. <laughs> so if you want to make money in Nevada selling sex, where are you going to go?
0: Off the Strip, apparently.
1: Exactly, Vegas. But there's no legal option for you there. Yeah, you want to go right.
0: on on so the like, Strip to do it, but you have to then I, leave the Strip to do it, which is no man's land, from it, what I hear.
1: It is no man's land. It's your. It's in a desert. Yeah. And so the and whatever the brothels are failing because they're they're stupid. But like it's it's. I would be fine with legalized prostitution if legislators didn't hate whores so much. But because there's so much vitriol and discrimination and they just don't want it around and they think we're filth and we need to be like isolated and treated like second class citizens. Like when you work as a, at a legal brothel in Nevada, you have to register with the sheriff's office and like get a working prostitute card. <laughs> I love that idea. Right? Do you understand? Like but I but I could understand why somebody wouldn't want to do that. I guess
0: it, there's there well we still have a stigma on it. I think if, if we right. make it acceptable this, legal yes. that you shouldn't like hey look, I'm gonna go get my sex workers card like sure uh, like, I like I don't I the only thing I can attribute to you in my mind is I think it should be uh, similar to how we're d- treating uh, marijuana where you need to go get a marijuana card. You have to go to a doctor, get a card, and I'm just guessing that I've never actually had... thought about making it legal or decriminalize or any of that stuff. Right. But I think we should in this conversation, it like... I'm thinking why not do it the same way that we do? We're treating marijuana, where they should be taxed uh, to some point.
1: No, I think, no, I'm not against taxation. I'm against like sin tax. Basically, the okay. like, tax rate is not. It's not like a regular income tax. It's a prostitute income tax, okay. which is dirty, dirty, filthy money that has to be taken. So it's. It's it's a syntax and it, the stigma informs the legislative process, which results in a myriad of just dumb laws that negatively impact the lives of sex workers for no other reason than it's like some old white guy didn't like the idea of them being able to go out in their town after eight. Be- so like, for example, there are brothels in Nevada um, with laws that you if you leave the premises of the brothel and then return, you have to be retested for STDs. Like every whore is just going. Like, so if she wants to, like, pick up her kids From or, school. like, or, like, yeah, or, or go to ha- Starbucks or do anything, it's, yeah. So they're, they're basically, like, entrapped in these places. And, the, and then, of course, the, it's like if you worked at a restaurant, right? And your manager was empowered by the state to, like, dictate your, your, your every move. Yeah. Yes.
0: Like, hey, I just went out for, I, I just went out to get something out of my car and come back. I, I, wash those hands again for three minutes. Oh, and it's going to cost you $40.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: that's excessive and uh, stupid. And it comes from
1: a vi- it comes from a visceral hatred of yeah. whores.
0: Because I I for, I formally agree with they should be tested very regularly.
1: Yeah, of course. But like they do it. So for example, in Nevada, it, instead of instead of getting a blood test like every other person that like gets STDs in 2017, they have to do the old Pap smear version of it. So like it's written into the law that they have to do like the least efficient most painful version of an STD oh, that's test. Just ridiculous. That, right. Like it's stuff like that, like it's just it's like it's these are things that sound like a good idea in theory but are actually really bad in practice. Also, this idea that sex workers ought to be vigorously tested comes from an idea that sex workers are a like are more likely to have STDs than the average population. They're not. I've never most sex workers have fewer rates of STDs than the regular population. And I'll give you an example out of my, my real life, okay? So I worked as a sex worker for a year and a half, right? I never, not once, had a single client even suggest that we do anything without a condom. I blew people with condoms. I gave hand jobs with condoms. They fucked me with condoms. Everyone's using a condom because I am a paid professional prostitute, and we are engaging in objectively casual sex. I pick up some dude at a bar and he's like, I don't sleep with a lot of random people. I mean, do you? Like, I don't have any condoms. I mean, oh, you carry condoms? Do you like fucking do this a lot? Like dudes are trying to slut shame me into not using a condom. And like I, men in recreational sex where I'm having free sex with people will try to like slip condom. There's so much bullshit outside of the codified, organized, like quid pro. Like there's a structure in sex work. Right. Yeah. I'm selling this. I These are the boundaries that I'm enforcing. When I tell you I'm using a condom, you hear me. But when I say that to just a dude I'm sleeping with, they're like, well, that's a suggestion.
0: Yeah. Well, do you think it, uh, part of it is due to I'm having sex with a hooker. Yes. I, I need to have a condom. Like, uh, yes, it's con- fear, fear based condom. Yes.
1: Okay. Great. It, it, what, whatever it is those boundaries are easier to enforce in sex work than, than they are out of sex work. Okay. And I think that people think of themselves as not engaging in risky behavior when in fact they are because that we have a lot of dumb ideas about how STDs get transmitted where we think yeah. that if we're, you know, fucking somebody in a polo shirt, it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, I grew up in the 90s, uh, late 80s and, and through the 90s with the – AIDS scare. Yep. Uh, and I was very well-versed on all the facts of AIDS as uh, through middle school, high school, mm-hmm. and into college. And I grew up listening to Love Line, so I became very fearful of STDs yes. at a very early age, which really put a huge slowdown mm-hmm. on the growth of my, my sexual growth as a, as a person. Mm-hmm. Like, even to this day, I'm still petrified of anyb- anybody could have an STD. So it's like, mm-hmm. even if casual sex with a woman outside of uh, uh you know not uh, I have obviously never been with a hooker but I will explain mm-hmm. uh I had sex with a stripper for money so I guess that makes her a hooker but yeah that's her, definitely yeah, yeah okay yeah that's yeah you're right it does no I'm <laughs> on the side of that but it wasn't anyway point big uh that's really funny. Yeah. Oh, I have so, I have two really good ones uh, that we'll get to before the end of the podcast. <laughs> uh, just because they're fun
1: experiences for me but you hear to me. talk it's like, about. But. But, but this is not something I'm making up based yeah. on anecdotal evidence, right? No, The, no, the you're Guttmacher a fair, Institute yeah. has... No, 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 no. it's not just my experience, which is anecdotal evidence. The oh. Guttmacher Institute has studied this. There are organizations out there who have surveyed sex worker communities all over the fucking world. It, the only places that sex workers have a higher incident of STDs is if they are unable to use condoms because condoms are not available or condoms are used against them in a court of law, and they don't have access to like medical care, basically. So like when you discriminate against sex workers and take the tools that they need to do their job away from them, STD rates go up. But if you give sex workers the tools they need to do their job, they have a real self-interest in maintaining their fucking body in a way that people like getting drunk on a Saturday and hooking up just don't don't okay
0: well also for the most part in your experience you were sober doing all of it there's still a lot of portion of that uh and I don't know if how close your experience is with this but being from Baltimore Mm -hmm. there's a lot of sex workers who are and I used finger quotes lightly because they're
1: Survival sex workers who are doing okay, like that's drug a great work. Term for yes. it. I was gonna say
0: drug addicts who are having sex for drug money, yes, and I don't know what the percentage of that is in that industry, and that's the people I worry the most about. like you, you're an adult. you made a conscious well, decision I was seventeen when I started. yeah eh, adult-ish, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I was, was president really of just, the
1: debate team, so, you know, there's that.
0: You can't... That is the most adult thing I've ever heard. But.
1: <laughs> I got well, a speeding a ticket con- going 106 miles an hour in <laughs> a 65 because I was late for a mock trial, and I told the police officer that, and he wrote me a warning ticket. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on like you're in your little. i like, yeah, outfit. I'm on my, my little like my, like yeah with my, my blazer. Thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm so sorry, officer, but I'm 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 opening an attorney and I'm late for a mock trial. <laughs> but uh,
0: it's you made a conscious decision to get mm-hmm. into it. Um,
1: yeah, but and, I,
0: but you're but we are you all didn't do it because you <laughs> had no other choice to do it. Like, and I'm I, sure I most of who the the you associated, associated with, or it's or. People who made a conscious decision sure, to get it. But There's I the people didn't, who didn't make a conscious decision I just like feel, didn't feel better to I
1: do. I didn't feel like I had a choice about working at Starbucks. And I felt super exploited and it was super harmful for my health. But I ran out of fucking options and they were the only people that hired me. And like it was, it was traumatic. It, it was awful. We are all making choices based on the things that are available to us, right? So – I think that wage slavery is terrible. I think that the choices that people make coming from a place of poverty is fucking awful across the board. Whether they choose to be, you know, a fucking retail servant or they choose to, like, give blowjobs or they choose to sell drugs or they choose – like, we're all kind of making choices within the limitations of our own lives and our own options. I think there's so much, like, there's so many fucking problems with the way that we do that. But sex work is not uniquely exploitative. It's one of many options, but we've just gotten super precious with it and we've chosen to vilify it in a way that is really unfair given like how it actually operates. So the things that make sex work dangerous are because it's a black market, Like, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. so the, sa- the reason – it's why pharmacists and drug dealers have very different lives even though they do the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah.
0: I get it. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. In your – Through your eyes, Mm -hmm. how many people that you associated with in the business, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if you call them co-workers or people you have met since then, how many of those people do you look at that? didn't have a choice like they were dependent on drugs or they were dependent for money or they're mentally ill and that's the way they saw and i don't want to picture a large portion of those people as any of these things but i think that is the ones that we see the most
1: i think that visually yeah right but it's kind of like it's a it's a it's a deeply harmful stereotype that i think gets misrepresented um a lot um i think that you know a lot of the so, for example, um labor laws, right mm-hmm. so this is like an unintended consequence. so you have somebody who's running away from an abusive home at twelve or thirteen or fourteen years old, right, mm-hmm. and they are not allowed to participate in the legal market. they're not allowed to get a job because they're under the age of fifteen, right so what are what are the options that are available to them uh, theft okay
0: uh, and turning tricks and I'm going to go with the, or uh, working under the table illegal yeah, work. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, so like the the informal the informal econ, economy is available to them. They're super vulnerable. Almost no matter what kind of work they're doing, they might they might be exploited whether it's mowing lawns or it's fucking, you know, doing uh, you know, hustling drugs or whether it's it's selling sex, right? So like exploitation in that sort of realm is not unique to th- sex work. But it's a part of it. What I have sort of found in sex work is that it's a it's a community. So like that person's going to hook up with somebody who's older than they are, who knows more. That's going to help them navigate and and self advocate and figure out like their own boundaries and help try to mitigate the damage of that. But I you know like I I was seventeen and and people were super protective and uh, of me. Like I had a it, uh, when I was um, when I was seventeen, uh, I worked as an independent. So that like there, so, there's no pimp. It's just me and my computer and my email address and my cell phone, and like that's it. And uh, and this is before I could get emails on my phone, so it was like real complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I used to get
0: my Yahoo email <laughs> as a text message, and then I right. would have to send a decipher text. that. Yeah, I would have to send the text to your email account, email account, and then it would then send it from there, and it still came
1: out screwed right. up. So I got the attention of a local, you know, you can call her a madam, you can call her whatever she was, but she basically scheduled appointments and did background well, Before checks. you get to the madam, how did you start doing it online? I Googled Break-less? escort Raleigh, North Carolina. No, I found, uh, I found a message board um with that ha- and so i read like the faq section of this message board and it's where providers or you know hookers or whatever would post their ad and then clients would respond and th- and then there was a back and forth it was kind of like facebook for sex workers okay um and so we would uh so i read the faq section and so wait
0: I- a a sex worker had a website specifically saying this is how you get into the sex Straight?
1: No, oh, okay. the FAQ was directed at men. Like, this okay. is what to expect for your first appointment. This is, like, how you conduct yourself. And through that, I induced what was expected of me. You reverse engineered the knowledge to yeah. start doing it on your own. Exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, again. And so I've been trained in that uh, on the debate team. I was really good Really good at <laughs> logic puzzles. Uh, So one of the major problems I had when I first started is that I was not legally allowed to uh, rent my own hotel room. So that meant that I would have to offer discounts and try to get men to take like the first appointment for the day and and leave me the card, leave me the key card.
0: So you can continue to use the room. So that I can continue to use the room. All right, so that guy would get the discount and mm-hmm. in exchange for the card for the
1: rest of the day, mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Now, did you have any apprehensions initially, or did any people have apprehensions because you
1: were 17? Um, I didn't look 17, so like I, I kind of looked like you this. You look 17 now, and you're 27. I mean, I can show you a picture of me when I was 17, um, but it was, yeah, I... Uh, if you were looking for a barely legal, if that was, like, the branding that you were looking for and I, at 17, walked through your door, you'd be disappointed. Okay. I had, like, a woman's body and a, and a woman's presence. So, like, you know, but I've got girls that are in their 30s now that are just, like, thin and athletic or whatever that can still do that barely legal thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: age of consent in North Carolina? 16. 16? Okay, yeah. so legally you were fine,
1: technically. Mm, no. <laughs> it's Trust me. Like for, on that side of it, it's They'd not, be... They, that, that's child trafficking, child pornography, child... like. There's all kinds of shit that, that me not being 18 makes it a worse crime. Prostitution over the age of 18 is a misdemeanor in a lot of places, although the way that that law gets well, yeah, enforced I mean, is whatever, it's but... Pro- yeah, it's, you're in trouble for prostitution, but it's not also... Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. Okay. At 17... It was extra, extra, extra illegal because I was under the age of 18. The second I turned 18, most of what I was doing was a misdemeanor.
0: Okay. Um, but if you were having sex with these older gentlemen, not for money at age of 17, is that would have been fine. Yes. That's yes. The, I was wondering about you yeah, exactly. on that, uh, legal of that. But granted, turning tricks, no matter is, what age, yes, is illegal. But is granted, illegal. under
1: 18 is. Even extra, more extra, Ill- extra illegal. Ill- especially yes. because of the. Like, I know the, it was a
0: very confusing
1: way to ask the question. The the way that, so so anyway so I'm doing this I'm under the age of eighteen I'm, I'm doing this stuff and this local uh, woman reaches out to me and she wants to have lunch because she wants me to be on her roster of girls. So basically, she has a website that a lot of people go to and she directs people. She does background checks and scheduling. Background I background checks on the
0: Johns or you on the Johns.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. So. Um we go out to lunch and like the first question she asked was can I see your ID and I hedged. And so we had lunch, right? So we had this conversation, we got to know each other and at the end she said, "Look, I know you're not 18. I also know that you're super mature. Uh but I know things that you don't know. So if you get caught, this becomes a national story and you end up hurting all of us. We're going to have this website taken away from us. We're going to be arrested in mass. It's going to become a national story." Everyone that you've ever worked for, the FBI is going to get involved. They're going to be charged with child pornography. Like, it, this is a big deal. If you wait until you're 18 and can prove it to me, then I will help you in any way that I can. But right now, I'm having you removed from this website. So for two months, I couldn't work, except I, I, I mean, I did see my like regulars that continued to reach out to me, but I couldn't advertise and I couldn't build get new, new work. Uh, until I turned 18. And then the second I turned 18, she was true to her word. She helped me in any way that she could. And it I was sounds, so happy working with her. She it was sounds great. sounds very
0: The Color of Money with Paul Newman and uh, Tom <laughs> I haven't Cruise. seen that, actually. It's a movie. Paul Newman uh, is a pool, is a retired pool shark Tom Cruise starts, it's the sequel to another pool movie with Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. I forgot the name of it. The Hustler, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've recently watched it, and that's why it's on my brain. Where he right. brings he brings in this this uh, kid who's just rough around the edges but really good at pool to show him how to be a, a hustler, mm-hmm. a, a pool shark. And he takes him to the biggest thing. Uh, uh, so it sounds similar to that in my yeah, head. it's a little bit like where it's that. like, hey, look, you're good at this. I can make you better. 18th. That's not a, that's not part mm-hmm. of the color of the money movie, but that it sounds like I'm gonna bring you under my hooker wings. Which she sounds did, and awesome. that's but
1: that's a that's a huge part of you know not just sex work, but a lot of a lot of these informal economies where you've got a lot of oral history and a lot of like you know you don't have a manual or an MBA program in how to do this stuff. So it, you rely on the connections that you make and in the and in, in sort of a messy learning process. I believe that if this were legal. You could help with that learning curve quite a bit by bringing it into the light, you, and you would also, you could make it literally safer because you could report abuse. Like it was made very, very clear to me very early that if I ever got raped on the job, it was just part of the. You're but, screwed. Yeah, yeah, it's just the cost of doing business. Like it's, yeah, I never was, but I, I know people that off were. That question? Yeah, no, the, all of the only time I've ever feared for my life in bed with a man. Was with somebody that I loved very much, who I thought I knew very well. You know, I've been and abusive relationships and intimate partners are the largest threat to women. It's not strangers. Like strange men are not punching out strange women at bars. It's, you know, partners, boyfriends, husbands, you know, people you know, yeah. people you know. Yeah, the you're the you're more likely to be attacked by
0: somebody you know than a stranger. Apparently, exactly. Just, you just are. That works. Yeah. Yes. Uh, did you ever have
1: to turn down a client because it was just it felt sketchy? Yes. Okay. Um, my my rule on this, which I made up by myself uh, because, you know, that's it's what happens when you own your own business, mm-hmm. um, was if I felt uncomfortable, I didn't go. Um, I had the privilege of doing that because I didn't have any bills to pay and I was still getting an allowance from my mm-hmm. parents. <laughs> um, just double dipping. Just double dipping. Um, but... If I made it all the way to the appointment,
0: which now has just become my favorite double entendre, <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I got if I got all the way to the appointment, I went through with it. Okay. Period. But if I was uncomfortable, I would just not see that client again. I would be busy. Okay. Yeah. So if he made you uncomfortable
0: during the act, it's like I'm not. I'm not coming back.
1: Yeah, but okay. I would. I would make a mental note of that instead of like not doing it for two reasons. Yeah. One, um, it's safer to. Follow through if you you tell someone that you're leaving in the middle of an appointment. That's that's a time that they might become erratic or violent. Um, and also, I felt like it was just unfair. Like especially if it was like a body odor issue or just like a personal philosophy IG. thing or an energy or like you know they said some dumb shit about women. Like you know I'm gonna I'm not gonna give this guy the experience of being turned down by a prostitute. I'm gonna go through the appointment and I then have a just story about that too. not do it later. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Just never do it again.
0: Uh, how much, what things made would make you not want to go to the point uh, not make it to the appointment? Like what would somebody have to say or do to make you that uncomfortable to go? Oh, I'm bailing out of this before
1: negotiating prices. Okay. So Uh, they haggled. Yeah. Haggling of any kind. Um, any kind of like not doing my screening process. If they, if they fought me on any of the things that made me feel safe. Like if they didn't want to give me their real name, or if they didn't want to give me, or if they didn't want to show me their ID, or if they didn't want to tell me where they worked, you know, um, or weird allusions to, um, it's, it's the same thing with like dating websites. Like if somebody sends me an email full of mumbo jumbo. I'm like, oh, this is a crazy person. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drive 45 minutes and lie to my parents to meet a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So. Prices, you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. What were your prices and how did you come up with those numbers?
1: Um, the way that I came up with it is I looked at the website, you know, that I was sort of stalking for weeks. Um, I looked at what everyone else was charging, um, the range of it. Uh, I looked at what the top tier was and then I added $50 because I wasn't interested in volume and I wanted to set myself apart. So you overcharged, I overcharged. to separate yourself mm-hmm. from
0: the riffraff. Yep. Similar to a dress
1: code at the nightclubs. Exactly. Okay. Well, I don't know that that's what the dress codes are. I think it's more about racism. But, uh, yeah. Well, to their, in their eyes,
0: it's the, the, the racism part is to keep the riffraff out. But um, just in their head, riffraff is being racist. I think, is, is the, I think racist. the
1: better analogy yeah. would be a bar that charges $25 a okay. martini. Better analogy, yes. Because they, they're I trying to that. set a tone.
0: They're setting a tone
1: for the place, but the tone is that they
0: don't want people of a certain ethnicity I think it goes both ways but yes no but they also don't want
1: white trash in there like it's not you know so it's yeah yeah, I mean if you have $25 martinis you want people that don't care how much the martinis cost
0: yes yes, but typically we will see those people as being white
1: yes but we also don't want poor white people in there was a whereas I think that a lot of that dress code stuff especially when it's like do rags are not allowed and like sneakers are not allowed it's like look if Jay-Z comes here, let him in. Like, he he can afford your $25 fucking martinis. Whereas some dumb white trash dude in... Yeah, never mind.
0: Well, I worked at hip-hop clubs and it's predominantly black and they had the dress codes where it's no do-rags, but it's because they're trying... They think it's going to keep... The, the the gangsters out of there, the ones who are going yeah, to cause dumb. fights. And right. It's like, no, that's, that's not just, gonna, That's not The whole thing's, thing's stupid, but... It's just, yeah. yeah. Your
1: like, way you were trying to I was, ward I, off
0: the people who are probably who going to be more problematic.
1: It was a marketing issue, um, and it was also a scheduling issue. Yeah. I was not interested in volume. I wanted to see fewer people for more money, which ultimately means that I'm making less money. That's what that means. But it it creates a sense of like elitism. It creates mm-hmm. a sense of like quality. So you're the guys that I'm seeing know that I'm seeing fewer clients and that's what, that's what they're looking for in, in a provider. Okay. And what are the actual numbers? If you don't mind me asking, $400 remember- an hour in 2005. Oh. What? hmm
0: I did not pay that much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How much did you pay? I did, uh, I,
0: when I was the, uh, all right, I'll tell you the fun story and then I'll tell you the, the one that actually happened. The fun story was, it was my best friend's bachelor party. We were at a strip club in, uh, Dundalk
2: mm-hmm.
0: and one of the girls who worked during the day was hanging out drunk after hours mm-hmm. with us at night and we're outside smoking a cigarette talking. I introduce her to him. We talk. Mm-hmm. And she goes, he walks back inside and she looks at me and she goes, I'll fuck the both of you right now for 70 bucks. Okay. Uh, and I was like, oh, no, no, absolutely not. And the joke that I used to tell uh, for it was, I was like, that's my best friend. The mother of his, uh, he is. he's about to marry the mother of his child. He absolutely loves her. I would never let him do that. How much for just me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she goes, 40 bucks. And then again, the joke is, oh, if I get another friend on this, I can save $5.
1: Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you ever done a threesome before? Uh, I have. With uh, the men? Yes. Were you able to maintain your erection? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I joke, and I'm like, I don't
0: want this any of this to happen, but all my head is like, this is a good story whether you, this happens or not, Dennis. like, You just need to follow through this conversation to see where it's going to go. So I was like, how much for just a blowjob? And she goes, 20 bucks. I'm like, alright, cool. We're working with that. Uh, I was like, do you want to do... De- <laughs> I, I,
1: she was... This is yes. one of the differences between street work and escort work. So like, Th- this is exactly the kind of negotiation that I wanted to avoid, avoid. Yeah. right? Like I didn't want to get into like I'm like, look, we're gonna have an experience for an hour. That experience might include a blowjob, it might include sex, it might include butt stuff. But like we're gonna we're gonna sexually explore for an hour, so you're paying me for my time, yes. Whether any of that happens or not. Whereas like street work is about negotiating by the act, and that yeah. gets uh. I just, I I hated it for the same reason that I hate a lot of aggressive sales stuff. And it's one of the reasons I hated the structure of the brothels in Nevada, um, is that they they do a lot of that stuff. And it it makes me, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. I just hate it. For me, it was the first time this had ever happened. Right. I was shocked and
0: and confused and scared, but also intrigued. Of course. And at the same time, I'm thinking, however this pans out, Dennis, this is a good story. Yeah. I don't actually want to have sex with this woman. Right. And I kept throwing things out there, expecting like I assumed that this was never going to happen, and mm-hmm. actually it, it never did. Spoiler alert: it didn't happen. So you're uh, a time waster. Uh, no, I wanted to. I wanted to know. It's you're a time no, waster. It's no different than if I, if her, if I could bring her in on the podcast and had had the conversation about it with her at the time. The there difference just wasn't podcast. The difference
1: then, is but. that she needed the forty bucks or the eighty bucks or the seventy bucks or whatever, and and probably needed it by that night in order to have a place to stay yeah. or something. Uh,
0: so what had happened was, uh, I was like, "All right, uh, so do you want to do this in the bathroom of the club? Do we want to go to the car? Like, how does this work out?" Mm-hmm. She goes, "Oh, we could do it in the car." And I'm like, "Fuck, I didn't drive, so I have to ask my best friend for who's the other best man in the in the in the wedding for his keys to his car." And he's like, "Nope, absolutely, not. <laughs> absolutely
1: no, absolutely." Yeah. And I was like, "All right,
0: well, let me live with you. I got a stripper who's gonna blow me for twenty bucks. Can I just use your car? I won't make a mess." And he goes, "No, absolutely not now. I thought you were just gonna drive away drunk. No." So I asked another guy the thing, just hey Chad, can I borrow the keys to your car? He goes, yeah, here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I feel guilty and I have to tell him. I was like, look, by the way, it's uh, it's for this. And he goes, oh, let me go clear off the back seat for him. Like, why are we not best friends? Right. Uh, and then so her and I are across the thing. We're, we're looking at each other and how everyone in the Patrick party knows this happened. And I'm, they're all like excited for it because like sure. Dennis is gonna go bang a stripper. And I'm like, uh, I don't, I didn't. I don't know if I actually want to continue doing this. Like, I was curious about it, and I don't know.
1: But then it um, became too real.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really was. And I, I, I was curious, and that's why they followed through. She looks at me. She kind of gives me a look. She goes outside. I was like, all right, guys. I'll be right back. I go outside. She waves at me, gets in a car with another guy, and then drives away. I'm like, I was just about she knew to pay. you were a
1: fucking time waster.
0: <laughs> no, I would have followed through with it. I would have paid uh-huh. her. I didn't. And also, I, I, like, it wasn't malicious to waste sure. your time. It was interesting. Uh, I was interested in the in the whole thing.
1: Well, in so
0: hindsight, I'm glad I didn't fall through. Let me on give it. you
1: another example of why I wouldn't see somebody. Right, so some reasonable person. Uh, so I would never see somebody who had never seen an escort before. Right, because I needed two industry references. So you needed to give me the names of two other women that you'd seen and presumably not robbed or killed. Right. But would you contact those women. Yes, I uh, only needed to get in touch with one of them, but I did need to get in touch with one of them. That's why I needed two. So, um, so that that would happen, but. Sometimes I would get these emails that were just these, like, long-winded explanations of, like, things that, like, their are fears, hopes, and dreams for, like, the, our session and also the whole fucking world, right? These, like, seven-paragraph things. And I, I'd answer questions back and forth, but, like, I want to limit what we're doing to the time that you're paying me for. I don't want to do all of this extra stuff. So they're like, just give me like a tape. Like I, I I want, you know, more pictures or a more explicit description or like more, more and I'm like, and it didn't take me very long at all to realize these are dudes that are looking for jerk off material that is never going to result yeah. in like an actual appointment with a person or any and there's ne- there's no money at the end of this masturbatory exercise
0: okay mm-hmm. did you ever when you were starting it what was your worry about getting called by police in the sting operation or something like that like an undercover i'm just light.
1: super white so like i just <laughs> wasn't i no i'm you that's what the that's what the references were for so like i'd call okay. references i was nervous about references out of state but okay. i'd call them
0: yeah now what gave you the idea for references you just saw that in the faq, FAQ. yeah okay if and someone you,
1: asks you for references it's normal and here's why they do that
0: okay And how did you, did you, when you asked for the references, did they provide contact information
1: or did you have to hunt these girls down? I would have to just go back to the same message board. Okay. And so then I'd look them up that way and then I would like use their work email. But the, so the work email I would send would be like, Hey, you know, I'm another provider. I'm seeing so-and-so here's his email address. Uh, did you guys spend time together? Is there anything I need to be worried about, basically? Okay. And the the sort of code of conduct among escorts was to reply to those emails and provide factual information. So what, what I would do when I would get those emails is plug his email into the, my search and look up our history to try to jog my memory as to whether or not we actually saw each other. And if I could give her a couple of descriptors or you know some indication of like how, how the appointment went for me.
0: Did you keep records of people? I mean, I had an email. Just I So a, just the email, that was your own records. Yeah. You didn't, like, keep a diary or anything like that? No. Okay. Do people do that? Do some uh, sex workers do that? Just yeah, because black of books the are... Black books?
1: Yeah, black books. And, and I, a lot of us... It, it's weird, because some of us are using, um, you know, the internet, and some of us are fearful of that for really good reasons, because it's, it's really hard to keep things actually secure. I mean, I think Facebook is spying on me right now yeah. because I downloaded their messenger. So, you know, like... <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, my uh, the reason I ask that is, uh, I come from a family of bookies. Mm -hmm. My father was a bookie, my father took NFL bets. My my uncle did it for a very long time, like just running numbers, which is the lottery. You basically pay out, uh, you take bets at a from people on the lottery numbers, and what the lottery numbers hit, you pay out. Mm -hmm. My brother did uh, sports bets for a long time, so I come from a long line of bookies. And my uncle kept a book of all the names and numbers and all the bets and stuff. Which, and if you found his black book, yeah, that he kept in his pocket. It's a record of everything and it's, he would be screwed. But he had to always keep a record. He, we were talking about it when I was like nine. Yes. He was like, yeah, no, I always wrote everything down because I needed proof in case somebody the next day when I go to pay, when they said, hey, I picked the numbers that won. You're like, no, you didn't. Here's the numbers yes. that you, and that's that one of pressure those things that you kind of have to do to protect yourself.
1: Mm, yeah, but it's different. It's different in sex work, right? It is. I yeah. just, that's the world I know. Yeah. So I, I needed the, the. I needed the record to provide references because I don't have, like, a Rolodex in my brain of, like, names and interactions. But the email exchange would help, like, jog my memory. And I could go through and be like, oh, we've emailed back and forth seven times. We must have seen each other six of those times. Like, this is, you know... He's a good guy. Okay. Yeah. This guy's trustworthy. I just wonder if
0: somebody is obsessive enough to keep a record. It's like, all right, so I was with John and he likes this and he liked that. And you know what? He said this that weirded me out. And so that's we, what they used. Absolutely. So, so like, like, people you, do do that.
1: You, They absolutely do that. And it, it's the same way that you would, because you're playing a different role with every person. Yeah. So you would have, you know, you can be like silk stockings somebody likes or. Uh, their fa- they're fetishes and fantasies. Yeah, their fetishes like. are fantasies so that you don't have to keep. Although, honestly, within the first like three minutes of the appointment, you remember because you just do. But, you know, it ever, to, each, to each their own. You know, everyone's running their – there are as many different ways to do sex work as there are ways to like be a person. Like we're right. all – we all come to the table with different skills, uh, different needs, um, and different ways of like making ourselves feel safe and connecting to clients. So we, we figure it out. Now the madam you talked about earlier that mm-hmm. found you
0: is that how she found you is through the references?
1: Website. No, not what rep I was posting. She saw my ad. Okay, so she just saw your ad. It's like, all right, who's this person? She's yeah, like she's like okay. this is this is somebody that fits with our So she, she branding. Was Head hunting. Yeah. Okay. And then when she met you, went, oh, you're underage. I don't. She, she no. She opens every meeting by asking people for their ID. Oh, she, does she? She even said you did not seem underage to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's like, I thought you were about twenty, twenty two. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. I was wondering how she would have, uh, why she would mm-hmm. have contacted you if it was one of those like, oh, here's somebody who's going to screw us over. Or if she's like, hey, here's somebody no. who needs to join our
1: right. organization. So there's, a, there's a couple of different ways to get into sex work. If you work with an agency, um, you want to be working with a reputable agency because they can and do exploit you. You know, it's a black market. Yeah. So it was is an interview process, you know. It's kind of like management now, you know. Like the Comedy is a little bit of a, a, dark, a black market as well. You know, there are exploitative managers in comedy and there yeah. are exploitative managers in sex work. Um, but I liked this woman's sales pitch, which is that she did it for years. She knows it inside and out. Her first priority is the girls. And that proved to be true in the year that we worked together. There was never a moment where I told her that I was uncomfortable or that I didn't want to do something that she that, – she never pushed, ever. She always took my side on any disagreements, and she always, yeah, she, I, I liked working with this woman. She was, a, she was a good egg.
0: Was she the only person that you worked for? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Now, what made you leave the business? I went to college. Okay. Yeah, and so I, I didn't have time in college the same way that I had time in high school because I was doing my own thing. And then I came back and took a couple of appointments over Thanksgiving break, uh, and then just sort of, it just wasn't fun anymore. So I quit because I didn't need the money. Okay. Yeah. Now, and then I promised myself I would never do it for the money, which is an easy promise to make before you need money for things. How did long, how long have you ever thought about doing it, getting back into it? I've only gotten back into it in like a, in sort of like a patron relationship. I haven't done the hourly stuff. Patron relationship. What do you mean? Like, you know, th- somebody will pay me like monthly. Uh, and we have a like a less structured relationship where it's not like hourly. And I'm using my real name.
0: So you still occasionally take
1: appointments. I have done that, yeah. Oh, okay. but it's not it's that it's not appointments. That's the difference. So like an appointment would be an or, escort. Yeah. yeah. So the they call it sugaring now. It's like the sugar baby, sugar daddy relationship. Okay. It is similar to, but also very, very different from hourly sex work, which Helping. is also very different from street sex work which is different from webcam sex work which is different from stripping which is different so it's like there are all these different manifestations of it i am only an expert in my own experience in fact i'm sort of like thinking back like i'm in no position to talk about what it's like to be a survival sex worker i just don't have that experience i've met people that have done that i've met a lot of really cool smart women that i respect who have done survival sex work that i consider friends of mine But I don't, I can't speak to that experience. Okay. If that makes sense. No, yeah, I understand. It's
0: not your, it's not your bag. Yeah, Yeah, it would sort of be like me
1: talking about like what it would be like to be in an orphanage. Like I just don't, I just don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, uh, so how long until you started telling people that you did that?
1: I started telling people uh, that I was a sex worker, I a year after I got out of my abusive relationship with a guy who told me that I was unlovable because I had that in my past. So you told him? I told him. Did I told, he, I told it, every oh, person that I was in a long-term relationship with. I've never okay. been in a long-term relationship with somebody who didn't know. And after my abusive situation, I have never slept with somebody who didn't already know. So you tell people ahead of time? I tell people ahead of time because it reduces the risk of violence.
0: Okay. When did you start doing it in your comedy?
1: Um, yeah, right around that time, a year okay. after. So you started comedy right after the relationship and basically... No no, 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 your no. Comedy? I moved to New York to do comedy, which is when I met this guy okay. and got into this abusive relationship. He told me that this was an unacceptable part of who I am. I have this personality. I'm a fucking contrarian. So as I started telling the story. When you would tell people...
0: Outside of boyfriends or including boyfriends and other people. I mean, like my people, best but. friend
1: knew the whole time. She knew before oh, I really? started. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, and she's still my best friend. We met first year, first day, freshman year of high school. And she watched me consider doing this, research doing this, struggle with whether or not I really wanted to start doing this and then doing it. She watched that whole process.
0: Is it one of those things, like, every time somebody does something, they always go to their friends, oh, my God,
1: you should totally start doing this, too. Was there ever that? No. No, No, absolutely (laughs) not. I mean, she and I were doing, like, threesomes, but she didn't lose her virginity for another, like, three years. She was, like, 18 or 19 when she lost her virginity. Okay. Whereas, like, I I lost my virginity when I was 16. I started doing – sex. like, we were both the same age. So she was a virgin watching me, you know, navigate this weird world.
0: Okay. Now, what when you tell people that you do, the, uh, you did this—that it was in your past, not on stage—but when you're having a conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. boyfriend, friends, if it comes up in a conversation at a bar, whatever, it comes up a lot. What are the the faces of people's? Re- where are people's reactions to people it? Is are it confusion? Sh- people, or is it-
1: are, people are shocked and confused because I don't fit the picture that they have of what a sex worker looks or sounds like, even though they don't actually know what sex workers look or sound like. Yeah. You know. Yeah, are most people met with a curiosity about it? Yes, or? everyone is is Everyone's curious. And it doesn't take people very long for, and I forgive people their dumb questions. You know, when someone's like, "You don't look like a sex worker," I'm just sort of like very patiently go like, "Well, how many sex workers do, do you know?" know? Like, so it's yeah. Um,
0: we're what are the what are the things that people ask you? Because I, I I know there's got to I'm sure I've hit some of those shit questions that you asked. You know, they right. want to
1: know how much I charged. They want to know dumb questions like how many people I saw. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like Yeah, you couldn't have kept Yeah, they're that. absolutely not. Uh yeah, I didn't have the bookkeeping skills of your father. <laughs> um I, you know, they want to know they want to know why. Why why would you do that? I was like, well, I really liked sex and I really liked money and I really liked freedom. And this was all of those things. This the sex I, I was living a double fucking life. I had thousands and thousands of dollars in cash on me at all times. At seventeen. That's crazy. That it was it was is the dream.
0: So when you started doing it on the stage, was there were you met with audiences that were shocked? Did you did you have trouble trying to figure out how to make the yeah, conversation tu- funny?
1: It yes. It took about a year for me to find my stage legs on this. And I'm still I'm still exploring ways to connect. I tend to talk about it very casually. Um, And then I'll tell a couple of a couple of stories. My one woman show was the big hurrah. So that was the that's the whole story of like why I started, how I started, what that looked like. You get to meet uh, different clients that I had. You know, I talk about, you know, this madam person. I talk about other escorts that I worked and interacted with. You get to meet both my parents, you know, and, and so it's it's that.
0: They're not in the one woman show. You just you mean No, no. I nice mean, my I mean,
1: my the the character I play twelve characters. characters, and so these are the characters oh, that I play, and so you get to okay. sort of see this world. So it's a character one woman show. Okay. Yes, yeah, okay. yeah. It's not a stand up special. <laughs> okay,
0: and that's why I'm wondering. yeah. Because yeah. There's one. There's one person shows that are essentially stand up, and yep. then there's some people that do character and do a theatrical performance. Yes, a theatrical performance. Okay. So it's a more of a theatrical performance. You're doing impersonation of those people. During exactly. The thing. Oh, that sounds exciting. That's yeah. much more uh, exciting than the. Because uh, I knew you did the thing. Yeah. Um. Uh. I still want, would have loved to have seen it or mm-hmm. heard it if it's available anywhere. But now that I know it's character work, I would love to see it. That uh, even more excited to see it. Than I would have been, which yeah, if it was it's, possible. But.
1: Uh, it's called consensual business, so I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. But it's not. Um, I, I will be touring with it. I just don't know when exactly that's happening. Is it going to be a part of the another Kickstarter tour? Uh, no, Hopefully, I don't think so. I theory? sold out New York Fringe and uh, United last Solo year? last year. Yeah, yeah.
0: 2016. Um, so when you're dealing with, uh, when you're giving it to audiences, uh, giving it to audience, when you're telling these stories to audiences now, because it comes up occasionally in your standup now, I'm sure, mm-hmm. is it one of those things like, all right, look, everybody just get on board
1: or. Yeah. I, I deal with that the same way that I deal with my mink coat story. I'm like, it's, it's, it's no different from any other standup bit. The, the big learning curve for me in that first year was, uh, is true of all material that all performers do you cannot make the audience more comfortable with something than you are. So the real process is about you getting comfortable with something, and then you can bring the audience anywhere. Okay. Because I have,
0: uh, just to relate a little bit, I have a few things that I deal with in my comedy. Like last year I had two heart attacks and a stroke, Mm -hmm. and most of my comedy last year was talking about that. Um, The beginning of it was me going into a – medical research study at MGH for cigarette smoking, uh, and having to confront the, my, uh, depression and sui- uh, suicidal ten- uh, thoughts mm-hmm. with these people. So I started talking about that. Cause it's like, Hey guys, this just happened yesterday. Um, uh, basically dealing with the depression and all that culminated in the fact that I had an eating disorder and, uh, 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 it ended up causing a heart attack and then another heart attack and then a stroke. Um, so I was dealing with that a lot of it and, it was, uh, people were instantly fascinated. Yep. I know, uh, instantly fascinated. Because I'm a 34 and then also worried year old guy. For you. Yes, they yeah. are. 34 year old person that had a procedure done that people twice my age typically are the ones that are yep. having. Uh, so that's where people would talk to me a lot after the show about mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so I need, I want, my intention is to write a one man show about that, less character work, because it's only about me. Sure. Um, I just haven't. There's well, there probably twenty nurses yeah.
1: and people and I'm sure your mom had a lot yeah. of concerns and like, uh, you know,
0: well, there's 15, 20 minutes of it that's worked and mm-hmm. I need to double that. But the other half of it is having to confront and deal with my uh, depression and suicide mm-hmm. issues that I have not dealt with yet. And that's the problem that I need to I'm I'm fine, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, I have to deal with that stuff before I can start making
1: jokes about it because I have no material I to write jokes about. I don't think that's true. I think that you can just start talking about it and you and and just let that process be messy. That's that's what I did. I just started talking about it before I was ready and then in absolute defiance of what my ex-fiancé told me would be true. So I was like, let's go out and see you know, hypothesis. Caitlin is unlovable and will be immediately socially ostracized if she ever tells anyone about this thing. Uh, experiment, just start talking about it. Yeah, result. Nope. <laughs> so well there's some I touch on it some of it I want to expand more, but I
0: can't really yeah. expand more because I don't know where I'm at with it. I need yeah, to just, see if th- I need to see somebody I need to get professional help okay. and work my way through that stuff. It's less about the awkwardness and because when I found, uh, one of the things when the the MGH uh, study they made me see, their uh their their psychiatrist every week mm-hmm. um, when I came in to transfer change cigarettes and I'd have to sit down and talk with her and then I have to realize that oh I'm uh cause when I come there I'm happy and bubbly and I'm on right. the upswing of my manic personality of my manic depression because it's like, hey I'm around people and I get to make jokes. And I'm great and I have to turn that off with her and be serious and honest. Because mm-hmm. she's here to help me. Like she doesn't want to hear hear me say that, pretend to say that everything's fine. She wants to hear me go
1: Yeah, but comedy isn't about pretending that everything's fine. Comedy is also about being honest, but just in a—you're just aiming. You're aiming for the joke, but the joke ought to be coming from a place of vulnerability and and well,
0: right. One of the things that she had. Hypothesized, And unfortunately, I had to, when I had the heart attack, I had to quit the study because mm-hmm. I, can't, I wasn't allowed to smoke cigarettes anymore. Right. Uh, she hypothesized that my suicidal thoughts was coming less probably from my manic depression and more from my obsessive compulsive disorder. That makes a lot of sense. And so I need to sit down and explore that and figure out where that's coming from before I touch more. I make a quick suicide joke because when I went to study, one of the questions was, uh, have you ever thought about suicide? And my reaction was, <laughs> yes. Every day. Doesn't everybody wonder how much their ceiling fan could support? And that's the suicide joke of it, and I move on um, because that's what led into oh, we need to make sure you see somebody uh, before we can let you in this study. Mm-hmm. So, that's the only reason that's in there is because it's the introduction to all of this. Like, all of this happened in a three month span, and then it was me dealing with it. Um, so, I'm it's on a pause, and I've written other stuff, and I'm mm-hmm. doing other comedy and stuff, but. Uh, so it's oh, something deeply it personal. That's uh, your situation, deeply personal. It's something that you had to go through mm-hmm. uh, to work out. So I empathize with that. And fa- that's one reason why I'm fascinated with this, that you do comedy and do that. Yes. Because you talk about it. You're open about it. And it is something that I'm sure can turn
1: audiences off.
0: Sometimes, no, depending. The
1: rape jokes turn people off more than the... the most people... It, it, some, occasionally, in the very beginning, sometimes I would have to say, like... Guys, you can relax. I know I look like everyone's daughter, but I'm I'm not your daughter, so we can you know we can we can all exhale. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's sex work is it's ubiquitous. You know, people think that it's only uh, you know in seedy places, but it's it's just everywhere all the time. So I think people have a an innate fascination with it. It predates our species, you know.
0: Oh yeah, no, it's something that like it's it's almost what like it's like. We took sex work and reverse engineered it into dating almost like it. Instead of front paying the money for sex, we basically did it on the other end and made it secretive and like, hey, wing wing. That's not yep. what we're doing. Right. Well, the other part of my uh, stand up that I've done uh, to tell the second sex work sto- or the sex incident story with myself is um, I was drunk at a strip club and a stripper taught me the VIP room. And then she was like, let me see. it, Whips it out. We started having She goes, It's going to be this much for that, whatever. And I was like, Yeah, fine, whatever.
2: Mm-hmm. And she ends
0: up giving me a handjob with a little mouth on it. And I've done it as a stand up bit because mm-hmm. it's a bit as in, I don't want to make fun of the story. The story is more of me exp- like trying to share my uncomfortableness mm-hmm. about the whole situation because uh, the joke, it's basically ends with a small dick joke. She, uh, I was like, Hey, aren't you worried about the camera behind you? She goes, What camera? I'm like, Do you work here? Uh, so she's, She's and She's like, You're she looks at me and goes, You're the biggest I've ever had. I'm like, You are a liar. Uh, so she's like, Hurry up. Uh, we need to finish it before I get in trouble. And I'm like, Uh, trouble. You're worried about the camera. And she goes, What camera? And she all instead of stopping, she just takes her hands and covers her hand, jerking me off with it. Uh, and I'm like, What, what the hell? Wasn't I the biggest you ever had? And she just turns her hand upwards, and that's the end of the joke. Uh, it, the joke. Works better when I actually do the joke instead of explaining yeah. the, the steps through the joke. S-
1: jokes are like that. I know.
0: <laughs> well, I don't want to do, like, th- when you explain some of your jokes to people, like, when you're talking about the situation, I'm sure if you want to, do you just do the bit? Or do you, because to me, I don't want to tell I'm another asking, comedian the if bit. If I'm
1: asking another comic for help with a bit, yeah. I tell them the bit that I need help with. Okay.
0: Because sometimes I do the bit in the way that I tell it on stage. Sometimes I feel more comfortable just explaining what the bit is the way I did it right now. Instead of like, all right, here's the, here's the punchlines, here's the, the 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 bullet points, mm-hmm. as to speak, because that's kind of how I write. I don't write verbatim. Right, now, but you've written articles and stuff. Are you do you consider yourself more a writer? Like, do you, does your stand up? Are you a full re- written out kind of person? I
1: know I'm I'm definitely more of a performer than I am a writer. I mean, like the, and the, my process for writing articles is radically different from my process of writing material, which was radically different than my process for writing the one woman show. So it's just like every project takes its own weird creative journey.
0: Okay. When you were doing the one woman show, what was your inspiration for doing that other than this business? Like what made you go, I'm gonna make this a one woman show with character work?
1: I started hanging out with actors and they suggested it. And so okay. I started I started writing um scenes, uh, and then I things kind of expanded from that. I worked with a, a dramaturg and I, you know A drama what? Dramaturg. It's somebody that can help you like shape. Things like never heard of the word Turk before, and I went to a theater high school. Okay, well, <laughs> Google it and then get I your believe it's a Back,
0: <laughs> it's the thing. Uh, uh, okay, so you were working with theater people, and that's what made you go, "Oh, I can make this a character work."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, because I have I grew I grew up and I, mean, in I the have theater.
1: A theater. I have a, a, a I am a minor in theater. Like okay. I, you know, I've been in so plays since I was in the third floor. grade. Yeah, 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 exactly. It wasn't the, I, I wasn't just randomly hanging out with actors, like you know.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering, because like I said, with mine, I, mine is, I went. I have a theater background, but for me, the only way I can figure out how to do this is to do it as a stand-up set. Mm-hmm. You took something that you've done, you've talked about as stand-up, and then turned it into a theatrical performance. Mm-hmm.
1: Somebody doesn't just go, hey, I'm
0: going to make this a character work. You have to have some kind of background,
1: I think. Yeah, that, I think and that's so. To, I, yeah, to, to make that leap, or at least to go and see other people do that, to like figure that out. Okay.
0: Yeah. And in New York, I'm sure you there's every other night on every yeah, yeah, other yeah. corner there's every the night. There's every <laughs> night. It's yeah.
1: There's 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 one people shows everywhere. Uh,
0: and you mentioned that you uh, portrayed your car- your parents mm-hmm. in the one-on-one show. Did you already before you did the show, did you come clean with your parents? No,
1: my parents found out after I started publicizing the show because I'm okay. a coward. Um but then my dad and I had a a good conversation about it and I wrote about that. For Advice, but
0: yeah. uh, give me just a quick couple of highlights on that. Uh, I read the article on advice, but yes, the conversation with your father. How did that go? Like, obviously,
1: you guys are we're, we're my father and I are very close. Okay, and that's good. And we get each other on a pretty like deep way. So I think that once my father let go, a, let go of a lot of his dumb ideas about like men and women and purity and stuff like that which he i forced him to do when i was like 15 or 16 years old um it was easier for him to connect you know with his daughter that wanted to take risks and push boundaries and do the dangerous thing and see what i could get away with and and he understands it on that level
0: yeah they obviously didn't know any of it was going on until years after yes. 10 years after or something yeah, a like decade that. later yeah. um when you was it one of those did they at what point did you like, I have to talk to them about this? Like, did they say something? We or- still
1: haven't talked talked about it. I mean, right. like, my, you know, my dad and I have talked about it peripherally. And we've, you know, we've had the conversation that I outline in, in the Vice article. But, like, my mom and I are still skirting that issue. She, like, won't come to the show. I don't think she's read any of my pieces about it. She just ignores it. Yeah. Has your dad
0: seen it? Uh No. No, so because they live in North Carolina, stuff.
1: Yeah, they live in North Carolina.
0: Did, would you like them to see? it? Do you think they would understand no, better? I don't think so. Would it make you uncomfortable if they were there? Um.
1: Yeah. Here's the. I would like them to see it. I don't want to perform it in front of them. Okay. That's really
0: what it is. So you guys are on speaking terms. You're amicable about mm-hmm. it. It's something yeah, that I, happened. They agree it
1: happened. She's fa- she's safe. She's and fine. fine. Exactly. It happened. She's safe and fine.
0: Okay. Yeah. Is it one of those things that if somebody like say a neighbor from down the street. Sees it because you go to tour it, and they're like,
1: they're "Hey, I saw Caitlyn's show." Chi- yeah, my mother's childhood friends have all seen this show okay. uh, because it, because she's from New Jersey, which is like super close to New York. So you know, her sisters have seen it, her friends have seen it, um, lots of lots and lots and lots of people. My my cousins have all seen it, so it's it's not a secret. It's just um, you know, it's an emotionally powerful thing, okay. basically, and and performing it is. Performing it is probably the most vulnerable I feel on stage. I I feel fine with comedy, uh, you know, speaking roles, pundit work, panel. I can do all of that. Performing this show always takes something out of me. Which was
0: harder for you to, to do, the comedy or sex work, personally? Like, which was the one that you had to get over the most fear to do?
1: I think I had to get over more fear to do... Uh, sex work, but I think comedy is harder. Okay. Well,
0: yeah. Oh, well, sex work, you just gotta lie there. No. But uh, <laughs> it literally doesn't work like I that. Know. You know that. Yeah. That's why I said it in this comically sarcastic right. voice. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Is this? But why do I know? If your father saw somebody go, would that would he be mad at somebody who went and saw your show? No. No.
1: No. He he wants me to be happy, and he wants me to support. He, yeah. He. He recognizes that uh, he believes that there are two ways to be invulnerable in this world. And one of them is like having no secrets. And then one of them is like just not telling anyone any of your secrets. I've clearly gone with the former. He's gone with the latter. But we were both aiming for the same goal of being invulnerable. I'm not blackmailable. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you can't blackmail no. somebody who's willing to tell you everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, You can't shame somebody who's not afraid to come clean with something.
1: Yeah, you can't shame somebody who's released themselves from that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Now,
0: the... uh, How often are you did The people who came and saw the show, like your mother, your your family members, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, did they treat you differently? Did they talk to you differently? Were they more awakened? Uh, Did they feel... Did they ch- their reaction to you change?
1: Uh, I think one of my cousins, who's also a performer, was just like simply blown away by it um, and really loved it. I think everyone else they saw it. I think they liked it, but they're just they're not really ready to have a real conversation with me okay. about it. You know, a couple of tentative questions, but you know, there it wasn't. No one's willing really willing to dig into it. Do any does anybody after they find out that you did that,
0: other than the one guy who was a jerk uh, and was like, "No one will ever love you." Uh, do people treat or ha- treat mm-hmm. you differently? Yeah, in better or worse ways.
1: Depends. Okay, it depends on who they are and what the context is. Yeah, some people think that I have like magic powers. <laughs> some people think that, <laughs> you know, yeah, some people think that I'm, you know, gonna steal from them. It's very weird. It's a, it's a you know broad range.
0: Okay, so it's across the spectrum. Yes, There's across no, the spectrum. It's not like, majority of the people.
1: No. No, majority of the people are curious and uh, interested and can hear me when I talk. But of the people that react negatively, it it's weird to be suddenly transformed into like a mythological creature in front of somebody's eyes. You know, like I'm still just drinking my Diet Coke. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. When you,
0: do you ever worry that? When you tell, when guys find out about it, mm-hmm. do you ever worry that they're going to. That their ego,
1: ego will get in the way and make everything harder? Yes. Uh,
0: it, well, no, I was going to ask about oh. their ego, but more of the, oh, well,
1: she was a hooker.
0: All right. Like, do you work like oh, did the thought ever yeah, come yeah, in yeah. your head? to like, yeah. So they some feel people...
1: entitled to my body because it's like public property. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. Like, I'm more worried about that. Um, I, I mean that, that happens to like all female comics that talk about sex in any capacity. Yeah. So whether they talk about like blowing their boyfriend who is now their husband, they're still talking about sex on stage. So like, why don't, so there, there's definitely a subgroup of audience members, uh, or other comics or other comics who think that women who talk about sex stuff in public um, are opening themselves up to sexual propositions for the rest of their life. And so you just have to navigate that. I don't think I have it any better or worse than any other female comedian who chooses to talk about sex, which is all of us, because, of course.
0: So you don't think because you talked about it that you're more more vulnerable? No, I think that just women in comedy get harassed, period. When you're not doing it in comedy and you're just like, Hey, we're having a group friend meeting. They're introduced to a new person, and you mention that, and then they their eyes light up a little. Yeah, bit. their eyes light work. up
1: a little bit, and then I get to do my favorite thing, which is talk about myself for a really long time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, this is the thing I worry about as a man. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked; it was the first thing we talked about. Basically, walking into my uh, creepy, crazy not creepy, but my crazy mythological podcast possible podcast studio. Mm-hmm. That do you ever worry? Because I, I opened up with uh, when I first met you. I in the first sentence was. this, Don't want to be insulting. I want to make sure you were a previous expert because I'd love to talk to you about that. It's
1: funny. A lot of journalists have have done that with the cake stuff. And what's important for me with the cake stuff is that, like, I really don't talk about this on stage that much. With cake. With cake. When I'm on my own or just doing a showcase, absolutely. But the cake comedy tour, I don't really focus on this, but it's impossible to deter journalists who, you know, it's the most titillating thing. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Do you, uh, the point I was going to, do you worry when you go to speak to a journalist or somebody, a podcast or whenever a comedian in, uh, invites you to a show or something? Do you ever have that quick thought? was like, oh, are they doing because they think they're going to have sex with me because I, I used to be a sex worker.
1: Um, I have the, oh, are they going to do that because they think they're going to have sex with me when it comes to coffee or writing together or like, it, it's yeah. not, it's not unique. No, No. that that feeling exists a lot of the time, but with this specifically, no. Sometimes I feel a little bit more empowered to establish boundaries, like, you know, like, you can't afford me, or I'm off the clock, you know, stuff like that, (laughs) but yeah. All right, because I
0: always wonder, like, I always worry that when I ask, uh, not always, but for the most part, when I ask uh, uh, a woman that I don't know, Mm -hmm. we don't know each other. We don't. Um, or even, uh, India Pearl, who was a Boston comedian who's now in LA when she was back in town was like, we barely knew each other because mm-hmm. we did the uh, open mics. The podcast was the longest we talked to each other. Mm-hmm. And I asked her the same question. It was, I always fear that when I speak to a, a woman comedian, um, or any woman to come on the podcast, cause I've th- I've had women musicians on, mm-hmm. I don't want to say, Hey, do you want to do my co- podcast to, to sound like they knew, Hey, you want a Netflix and chill? Like, is that a f- worry when somebody asks you that?
1: podcasts no. no writing together yes okay yeah so i mean if i showed up and there was like no podcasting equipment and you were like oh do you still want to do that i'd be like okay i'll just go to lyft bye yeah but you know like no i've, I've i rec- i know how podcasts work so i've recorded them in people's bedrooms and basements and cars and like like i get it okay yeah all right and- it's pretty normal i would not hesitate to ask women to do podcasts because i think that's a form of sexism so like God. you should just ask women to do your podcast and if they say no they say no and don't assume it's because they think you're a rapist they might yeah. just not be available or not think that your podcast is important enough for them to do
0: i don't think it as in it rules my life right it's something that pops in my head and i, I get worry it about.
1: Yeah, yeah i think that that's a that's another problem with like you know mental illness <laughs> not, <didn't> I, <laughs> existential not, worry not I even mean, look we're all fucking broken children here in in comedy and we're all like just weirdos But like I think that it is sometimes it can sometimes be harder for women to open for male comics uh, that they're fucking or not fucking because of perception issues. Um, And so like I would hate to see that reverberate through podcasts as well as make it suddenly make it makes it harder for women to do podcasts because they're worried about the perception. So men are worried about the perception that they'll be called creepy if they ask a girl to do a podcast. So instead they just ask all men in order to avoid looking creepy. And I'm like, no, that's just misogyny. Like it is right. And
0: I, I don't want that world to happen. And I wanted, I can't tell you that, Hey, you shouldn't feel creeped out to come do my podcast. I can't tell you that. No, people are going to feel what
1: they feel and that's fine. But I know there, I want to
0: know if that is, I felt like your offer
1: to do a podcast was straightforward. Here we are recording. Yes. I'm pretty confident this is but real. But also, in general, <laughs> yes. But I mean, in general, with got a logo there. and everything, Dennis. I just did that today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I was looking at it because it's a Chromecast, uh, and I just had pictures of like Facebook pictures that roll through mm-hmm. there. Uh, just to have something going. And i look like, why am I not putting the logo on that TV? I've done all this work to set up the TV. Like, the TV runs through the soundboard. Mm-hmm. Like, if I wanted to, uh, well, it's unhooked up now, but it, I have all I got to do is hook the cable back up. I have it set up to where if I wanted to do the podcast and somebody wanted to play a video, boom, Chromecast it right to the video, video plays through the podcast. Mm-hmm. I have plugs for that instead of showing video if we're just sending audio. I'm a tech guy. <laughs> I make sure everything in this room is That's tech, tech sappy. Uh, but, okay. And let's wrap this up with, I'm sure the question that everyone's listening to is just like, just ask this question. What is the weirdest thing that that uh, clients have asked you to do?
1: Weirdest or like kinkiest?
0: Let's go with both answers. Okay. If it's a separate thing, I want be- both answers. Because I'm slightly intrigued, but less intrigued by everything else I asked. Sure. That question is more, I think, for everyone else listening, in my Oh, opinion.
1: okay. Um, the truth of the matter is, is like I was working in the Research Triangle Park, 2004, 2005. I'm seeing mostly, you know, tech people, uh, a lot of PhDs, a lot of professors, professional judges, attorneys, like, and and so many of those men feel so isolated in their own lives. They don't feel like they're connecting to their wife or children. They don't feel like they're connecting to their coworkers. They don't have friends. So it was very weird that like a huge... Huge part of my job was making these men feel like less lonely in an, in an existential way. Like they they were really successful. Like all the metrics of their life equals success. I mean, they can spend four hundred dollars on a hooker. Like that's a that's a metric. Um, and they were just so unhappy, and so it, it led to these big lifelong regrets. So I felt like I spent a lot of time counseling men that their lives were not worthless just because they felt like a like a ghost in in their own you know, in their own fucking lives.
0: Was that surprising for you? or did It you, was very surprising for me. You
1: didn't expect that at all? I did not expect that. That wasn't in the FAQ on the website? No, it was not in the FAQ on the website. I did not, I did not expect the kind of emotional, like, black hole that a lot of these men were experiencing. And, it, and it's just so normal. Like, these guys are just so normal. And that feeling of, like, not being seen by their own family, friends, and acquaintances seems really, really widespread. So that was the biggest revelation for me as a sex worker in terms of like kinkiest um I you know I, one guy uh really got off on me talking down to him while stimulating his nipples yeah yep yeah I'm a he very just wanted me straightforward. to talk down to him and, yeah uh
0: I'm very straightforward when it comes to sex and i I don't I know that people have these thing these things they need to have done for a yeah. reason I just don't get like even like even as something as simple as feet i don't get Mm -hmm. or like asian fetishists. i just don't get that over just any other person it's so yeah that blows my mind did you are you what is the kinkiest thing that you ever heard somebody else do that you're like oh i would never have done that
1: i don't know how to answer that question (laughs)
0: like if you talk to other sex workers like sell that like after a show a former sex worker comes sure. to like, this one time a guy did this. Did you ever have a reaction? Here's something go. Oh, I would like something that's not I was unsafe, but it's like, oh, I would never do that. Like,
1: sure. So like shitting um, is a, a thing that exists. I, uh, yeah. I don't know that I could. I, ne- I was never asked to pee or shit on mm-hmm. command. I was always a little bit curious as to whether or not I could I, like if I'd be able to do that, like in a physical way. Like if I could will myself to like piss or shit on command.
0: I don't even want to know if I could do that. Like okay. If so, like I, I I love your curiosity that like I'm could I possibly yeah. do that? Yeah. I have. I don't even want to know the answer to that myself. Okay. If I, if I was with a woman who wanted that, I don't even want to entertain that thought in my world. oh All right. So then we're stop asking end this. these
1: weird questions. I want to know
0: your experience. I want to know about you. It's not my experience. It's your experience that I'm curious about. So all right, cool. Uh, I think that is it. Thank you for coming. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and so you guys are heading to Philadelphia tomorrow.
1: Yeah, we're gonna be in Philadelphia tomorrow at the Good Good Comedy Theater at seven PM. We're gonna be at uh the DC draft house um in DC on the twenty fifth. We're gonna be at Which uh, is Tuesday. Tuesday, yes. Okay. And then the twenty seventh, Thursday, I think we're gonna be the Pittsburgh uh we're gonna be at the arcade comedy theater. Then on the 30th, we're in Indianapolis, which is Abby's hometown. Very exciting. We're gonna be at the Rabbit uh Cabaret Theater. Asheville will be at the Southern Go to the website. Yeah. It's Kate Comedy Tour or CakeComedy.com. Uh, are you guys driving? Uh yes. Yeah, we uh we're to picking up the car in Newark. Yeah. So we're taking the train... From Boston to New York, we saved ourselves a thousand dollars not renting a car from here. Okay, yeah, because did because you're two of you are from New York, one's in LA. Two of us are so right now it's split. So Carrie and I live in New York, and Aaron and Abby live in LA. But Abby's moving back to New York as soon as she wraps her TV show, which happened yesterday. Oh, good for her. Yeah, that's yeah. Why she had to miss the first show because she's she's on TV.
0: But did none of the four of you have a car? Or was it easier to rent a car? Let's um, talk logistics. Erin's
1: car is in LA. Yes. Okay. So she's the one with the car. She's the one with the car. Okay.
0: Yeah. I figured the LA person wasn't gonna bring her car. Exactly. New York, same as Boston. You kind of you it's easily get around without a car.
1: It's also this is our first tour with like merch bigger than buttons. We've got like a bunch of t shirts.
0: Is that the what is, are you wearing? Oh, I am not wearing okay. the t
1: shirt. Because uh, mostly because I wore it the last two days and it smells now. Um <laughs> but uh so we need the car fits the four of us plus our four suitcases. Okay. It does not fit the four of us, our four suitcases, and the merch bag. So what are we doing with the merch bag? Then? We had to rent a Jeep. Oh so you ran, yeah, oh, yeah, so we rented a bigger car. But okay, like sorry, e- even if we had the the car that we've been touring and available to us, it's it's not. Oh so
0: there was a car that was available wasn't big
1: enough. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. And uh is the other than Kickstarter and all that, is there sponsorships involved? Because I've talked to millennia of people that just go, dude, the best way to do the tour is find some sponsorships. Was that oh, you're shaking your head? No, that answer is. We no. just didn't do Did that. You didn't look into it?
1: No. All right, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope the rest of it goes well. Thanks. And yeah. uh follow me on Twitter, kaitlinbailey.com. Or yeah,
0: find everything Caitlin Bailey. Caitlin Yay. Bailey, at,
1: um, which is K A Y T L I N, because my parents misspelled my first name <laughs> for no good goddamn reason, <laughs> and my dad just wanted like a uh, you know a traditional Irish name, and my mom wanted a hippie weird name, and so this was their dumb compromise that's resulted in me being super Googleable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I brought, I started, because uh, I know I spelt it wrong at least once or twice yes. looking you up. Uh, and I came across it today. I spelled it in a lot more Caitlyn's come out. So it's a lot more common now than probably when you were yes. younger. So, yeah, All right, cool. I hope everything goes well.
1: Yay. Thanks for having me.
0: And there you have it, my interview with K-Lady and Caitlin Bailey. It was very fascinating, wasn't it? Listening to somebody talk about their experience uh, as a prostitute. Or she likes to use the word whore, and I like the word whore too. I don't think it should be pejorative. Maybe sometimes I want to use it as an insult, but it's I just like saying the word. Uh, it just rolls off the tongue very well. Uh, I, you can fit that little h in there and just like whore. It sounds great. I'm glad that she likes using the word and that she let me use it. But uh, if you guys want, you can check her out, Caitlin Bailey. Find her on the internet, or uh, if you're in the Pittsburgh or DC or Boston area. If you're going to catch us tonight, uh, go to kcomedy.com and check them out on the tour because it is a good, uh, it is for hilarious women doing comedy together. All right. Thank you so much again for listening. Sorry. It's been a delay since the last episode. I've had some equipment issues, which I, uh, did not touch on, uh, in the opening because I don't like to admit that, uh, sometimes I have tech problems. You know, I am a person who takes good care of their, of his, of his stuff. Uh, I buy good stuff generally. Like I know when I can buy something cheap that's good or I can buy something cheap uh, that is not good, but it doesn't matter. I spend money on things that I like to work for a long time and that will take abuse if need be. So when stuff of mine just breaks, like computers or equipment or hard drive, external hard drives, when things fail me, I get very murdered because they're – tend to, I don't want, I, I don't let things get broken. I take care of my stuff. So when something breaks, that's extremely frustrating for me, but, uh, that is not your problem. That's my problem. And uh, I, I have a bank load of episodes that I needed to finish and edit and get on. And, and I couldn't because I had another computer issue, which I've had a lot of computer issues. And now I'm having an external hard drive issue. And you know what? I don't, know what to do with it. I'm just going to make it at work as best as I can. Uh, so I'm on a backup laptop. I'm, uh, I have a, I do have a new portable recorder so I can get out of the studio and start doing more interviews. I should just do them out, uh, get out of the studio and get people in. So I got to get back in the swing of things. And for those who are regular listeners, I apologize. Um, or even new listeners, because uh, I still talk to people oh I have this podcast you should listen to it if you did listen to it um, if you're a new listener or if you hear from uh, uh, because uh, Caitlin Bailey you wanted to hear Caitlin Bailey's story or anybody's story that has been a guest on the show thank you so much for coming I'm going to get everything uh, hopefully back on track soon uh, but I'm glad I got this episode out because it was fascinating and interesting and I enjoyed every second of it I hope you did as well thank you again for listening take care bye <laughs>